everybody. Welcome back to the New York 20. Yes, we are still alive and are, breathing. Are we allowed to say welcome back when it's been uh, a good three or four years since we've recorded? Uh, I guess welcome to the first ever New York yeah. 20 podcast would be what we could say. That seems accurate. Uh, so thanks for sticking with us. Uh, if you haven't met us before, it's probably because this has been a good three, four years since we've done one. Oh, yeah. It's been what, actually? Uh, At least a month? A month and a half, about. Ugh, yeah. That's brutal. Yeah. yeah. But life happens. People move out. People get leaks in their apartments. Yeah. You know, yeah. things and go on fire. Coming on the heels of, you know, people being back from vacation. And it was just, it was it was a weird Birthdays, time. Birthdays. I don't know. What other things can we make up to make excuses? Hanukkah happened. Ha- oh, yeah. Thanksgiving happened. Yeah. That was like the first time ever that and they And Hanukkah like, is like eight nights, right? Yeah. So that's that's eight nights right there that we couldn't do this. Yeah. Neither one of us are Jewish, but yeah, with the the Sabbath we're going to go with that, yeah. right? So... But we're back now. Yeah, we're recording. Uh, you know, there's been a ton that's happened and a ton of things that have uh, gotten my blood to boil. Uh, but I think overall, I think we'll start optimistic. I'm going to start positive okay. in this episode because there's so many things to be negative about in New York sports. One of those that I don't think is true is uh, baseball, the hot stove. There's been a ton going on. Yeah. And uh, I think it starts with Robinson Cano. But I, as a Yankee fan, will be the first to say I, I think it's a good move, a good non-move by the Yankees not to sign him. Okay, all right. I, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but you being the Yankee fan, we'll start right there and tell us why. So, Robinson Cano is 31, 32 years old. He's a second baseman. He has never had an on-base percentage over 360. Uh, he has shown good power, not great power, not mm-hmm. more than 30 home runs in a year. Uh, Albert Pujols did all of those things every year. 30 home runs, 100 RBIs, 400 on base percentage. Right, over signed, 300 batting average. Yep. Yep. Signed a 10-year contract at the exact same age as Robinson Cano and has done absolutely nothing <laughs> with it. The Angels would do anything to get out of that contract right now. Yep. And listen, Cano I think is a little bit more, he profiles to be maybe a little bit more consistent because he is more average than raw power. Um, he doesn't seem True. as injury prone as a big bulky guy like Pujols would be. Mm-hmm. However... Guys get old, you know. Yeah. The, the the era of people increasing their numbers into their forties is not like around anymore. No, absolutely. And, and we were talking about this just before we came on. Listen, the argument for Cano is that he's been one of the most consistent players in baseball, especially over the last five years. You know, the, the first two years in the league, uh, whatever adjustments, rookie, all that stuff. Throw that out. The last five years, he's been incredibly consistent. But you compare him to Pujols, who was more consistent than Pujols? Ten years in a row, he had monster numbers that were almost identical. 300 batting average, 30-plus home runs. He was the picture of consistency. And like you said, you know, you you sign a mega deal like this, not just him, they don't work. Yeah. These deals never work. Somebody said that today at the Ellsbury press conference, one of the Yankee guys. um, I don't remember who. We'll get into that in a minute, obviously. But they said, you know, historically, not just for us, Across the league, these 10-year deals, when players are north of 30, don't pan out. And I think that's 100% true. He put it really well. He said when the Yankees signed Derek Jeter to a 10-year deal, he was 26. If the Yankees had Mike Trout right now, they would sign him to a 10-year deal. They'd recommend that, no question. Of course. But when you run into these guys that are going to be playing into their 40s at big money, it cripples your organization. Look where the Yankees are right now because they have to pay Alex Rodriguez. Yeah. Yeah. And they're hoping, you know, their hope against hope right now is they're not going to have to pay that money. Mm-hmm. But between that and Sabathia and Teixeira and paying these guys for past production, it doesn't work out. So right. this is the first time I can remember the Yankees showing fiscal restraint over the long term to 
not go and worry about public backlash for letting a guy walk away. And let's not forget, they offered him $175 million over, over seven, seven years, yeah. which means they wanted to keep him. They just wanted to keep him at their number. They wanted to keep him at a realistic number. And I, I'll agree with you. I think the Yankees showed some fiscal restraint. You know, I, like, listen, there are a lot of positives to keeping Cano. Obviously, uh, you know, he's probably going to be the best player on the team. Even with the additions that they've made, sure. he's probably still the best player on the team had they had him. But, you know, and then he's homegrown. And that means something to yeah. them. You know, but at the same time, he, like you said, he's always kind of lived in the, the, the shadow of Jeter, mm-hmm. of A-Rod. He was never going to be that to them. He was never that important to them. Now, how this is going to work out for Seattle, we don't know. But he can, if he's as productive as he's been with the Yankees, he can be that for Seattle Mm -hmm. because of where Seattle's been in the baseball doldrums for the last ten years. Yeah. So it's it's a classic overpay by a bad team. I don't love it for Seattle, but I understand why they had to do it, and I'm not mad at them for doing it. They're hoping years one through five make up for years six through ten. Right. And, you know, more power to them. I do think there's something to be said for Cano maybe profiling as an Ortiz type by the time he's at the end of his career just because he is such a natural hitter, such a pure swing at the plate. That's fair. I think there's a potential there for him to be, you know, a doubles and and home run guy as he gets maybe a little bit bigger and slower. Mm -hmm. But Plus you could DH him. It's not like he went to the, you know, the National League where you're going to lose that. Yeah, but I think when you're the Yankees, you've been burned so many times in these contracts. Mm -hmm. You can't go down that well again. You can't really go down that road. Now, all of that said... The Yankees, with Robinson Cano and the other moves they made, are a significantly better team than without him. But the Yankees have to reallocate that money elsewhere. Now, the the other question now becomes this, this whole Hal cap, you know, the Hal Steinbrenner, you know, uh, mandated 189 that they have to right. stay under. Uh, there's no chance that'll happen unless Alex Rodriguez is suspended at least for a, 100 games, if not the whole year. But it's even difficult to do it with his money off the books. Right. Well, because they still, they've already signed three guys to pretty Mm -hmm. big money deals. Uh, They're still going to need a pitcher. Yep. They're still, a starter, that is. They're still going to need another guy at the back end of the bullpen. Whether you want Robertson to be your closer or not, they're going to need another reliable guy. So if you're going to pay for a a Balfour, you're going to pay for, uh, who else is still in the market? I guess some of the other guys are a a little lesser. Yeah. You know, Balfour probably command the most money. Yeah. Um, And they're still going to need some semblance of an infielder. Yeah. I mean, they're either going to need a second baseman to replace Cano, mm-hmm. or they're going to need a third baseman to replace the suspended A-Rod, or both. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't see how they stay under the 189. Kelly, even Johnson, with... Kelly Johnson's a good piece. I like what sure. he does from the plate. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a couple of the names, you know, I think somebody floated um, Eric Chavez for third base. Right. He's been here. He's done that. That's uh, true. Another lefty, which I'm not crazy about, because the Yankees have gotten very lefty-heavy with mm-hmm. Ellsbury and, and all that. But And McCann as McCann. well. Uh, Soriano balances him out. Out a little bit, you yeah. know, as right-handed power, and also Beltran, mm-hmm. obviously is a switch hitter. Um, I think that they do need to upgrade at one position or the other. Yeah, I think not knowing about a Rod yet it makes it a little difficult to upgrade at third base. Yeah. However, you know, I mean, Kelly Johnson can probably play some third, and between right. him and Nunez and flip flopping, can we just not throw Nunez? Into I know this? you hate. I'm Nunez. starting positive. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Maybe they'll trade that guy I just mentioned. And, yeah. You know, for like a bucket of baseballs or something. I would actually trade Ichiro for anything right now. Like that. Yeah. We're trying to build a team. If you could take that six and a half million dollars they're paying Ichiro, which they should have never signed, which I'd said from the beginning. 
and just allocate that to an arm in the bullpen, you're, you, you're now you're under that 189, and you have a productive piece to your team. Right. But they signed this guy because they thought he was going to get 4,000 hits. Now he's not going to get, like, four more hits. <laughs> it's terrible. He has no move. value to you as a fifth outfielder. The only thing is, like, you know, we talked briefly before we went on about Gardner mm-hmm. potentially being one of their best trade pieces. Right. And, you know, clearly you don't want to give a guy like Gardner away because mm-hmm. he's got a ton of value. You know, he can start for any team in the league in center field and left field. You know, but now that they brought in Ellsbury and Beltran, you know, they really don't have a spot for him. But here's the thing. Beltran's going to have to DH. Soriano will probably have to get some games at DH. Mm-hmm. And Ellsbury is always hurt. <clears throat> You're going to need another reliable outfielder not named Ichiro yeah. on the roster. So unless, you know, you're going to trade Gardner and get back, I don't know, Homer Bailey has been floated which around, I which I don't think, think they're going to yeah. make that move. But you need a guy of that elk, like a, a you know, a, a middle-of-the-rotation guy with some even higher upside. Because I think Gardner can yield you, maybe not Bailey, but somebody in that you know, along those lines, unless you're going to do that, it's kind of hard to move Gardner. So let's play hypotheticals. I don't think this would ever happen in any stretch, but what would you trade as the Mets to get Brett Gardner on your team? Daniel Murphy. Yeah, great. That's the move. What else would you give up? Because I wouldn't do that straight up. Okay. Um, Here's the thing. I don't know how much I want Gardner on the Mets. Yeah. Not because I don't think Gardner's a good player. I think he'd be a very useful piece because I think he leads off. It solves a lot of problems. Um, Also... I guess, in theory, if you put Murphy in the package, mm-hmm. then you would open up second base for maybe Eric Young Jr. Mm-hmm. And if you had those two guys and their speed, 1-2 at the top of the lineup, that's pretty good, especially in the National League sure. where you're looking for that kind of game. Um, I I just don't want to see Ligaris not get playing time. You know, I know that 2014 is, a lo- is is more about winning than it has been. Mm-hmm. And listen, if Ligaris loses out the center field job in spring training because he's not hitting to Chris Young, and Chris Young is hitting 400 in spring training, I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. But to bring in another outfielder, Ligaris is probably the odd man out, and I just think that his, his defense profile is so high, and his offense has been gradually getting better, that it's kind of hard to not give him a fair shake. I think if you're the Mets and Harvey were not hurt, you you have to try and bring him in. That's fair. Because he's a guy who can help you win right now. Mm-hmm. At a very reasonable, like, $2.5 million this year. He's making, I think, 2.8. That's fair. <clears throat> yeah. And as good as he profiles defensively, Gardner is is maybe a half step below. Like, he is he's right. an excellent Oh, Gardner can go get it, fielder. definitely. Yeah. I, the thing about Lagar, his arm is, like, incredible. Yeah. I, and I know that's a, it's, it's, it's a stupid thing yeah. to say, but, I mean, he will save you a ton of runs. Yeah. Now, he's got a hit. Yeah. But... You're looking at a situation where, realistically, Granderson can still play center field, at mm-hmm. least for another year or two. Sure. Chris Young, if he hits, can play center field. He's a very good defensive center fielder. And Eric Young Jr. can play center field if he had to. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if all those other guys hit and Ligaris doesn't, you have an outfield right there again, and then Eric Young can lead off for you. Now, Eric Young, not as good as Brett Gardner, mm-hmm. but it, it's, it's, a, it's a tough it's a tough situation. Now, would I give up Murphy for Gardner? I would. I don't know what else. What else as a Yankee fan would you I'd want? want a pitcher. A pitcher, yeah, right? We need a pitcher. <sighs> That's tough. Because the way the Mets are set up, again, with the Harvey injury, you, yep. you're not, like, uh, normally I'd give you maybe Murphy and, and Dylan G. Would that get it done? 
That'd be close. That that would be pretty close for me. Yeah. But I don't think they're in a position we're, to we're give up Bellinger. We're addressing two now. holes with right. Gardner, and that's what I think the Yankees need to do if they do deal him. <sighs> that's tough because the Mets aren't in a position to make that move now yeah. with the Harvey injury. They can't trade Dillinger. Yeah. So I, you know, that's why. If aside from the fact that they're not going to make a deal together because they never do. Right. Um, <laughs> but isn't it funny how they they really. Like match up pretty well, pretty well in needs and like assets. Absolutely, in this, this situation. Can, I know that you said you wouldn't do it straight up, but yeah. you can make an argument that it that it almost makes sense just as a one for one. The salaries are similar, the service time is similar, and I think Murphy will be a better hitter in Yankee Stadium than he would be in City. Now, listen, he's going to hit a ton of doubles, but some of those doubles are going to go out. Yeah, you know, he's an aggressive hitter. He's got some pop. I think that it'll be helped in Yankee Stadium. So I think you would get more out of Murphy in pinch drives than you would than the Mets would. So I think that almost evens the playing field. But and it's crazy that they match up so well, but this will it never happen. Never, yeah. Never. It's a little disappointing because I look and you know, I, I try to see what I, I would be fine with like Murphy and G. I think that would be a yeah. good, reasonable fit. It gives the Yankees a little bit more reliability at the back end of their rotation. Mm-hmm. It gives them the chance to <coughs> let Pineda sort of maybe win that last spot, you yep. know, and, and just keep everything under cost control. Um it's the ideal match to me. That, yeah. That's exactly where it, I thought it would go. It's funny, too, because even if you look at, like, player personalities, yeah. it's very close. Yeah. You know, you're not going to be like, oh, you know what? If we're the Yankees and we lose Gardner every day, we're going to lose that grit. Like, Daniel Murphy brings that to the yeah. table. You know, they're both those scrappy kind of, like, uh, you know, in that Pedroia mold where it's like we're we're doing everything we physically can. Yeah. You know, neither one of those guys is as as brilliantly gifted as Cano or Beltran, these guys that make it look so easy. And they're not that ball player. I'm not saying yeah. they are. But they're the, the type of guys that are just max effort. Yeah. We'll play anywhere. We'll do whatever you want us to do. And we're going to, like, 2,000% every game. So yeah. you wouldn't even be losing that, which, you know, when, when you have a high-priced team the way the Yankees do, and you have some of these guys that are older and things like that, you wouldn't want to lose that kind of thing from a Brett Gardner. Yeah. You're going to get that back. And, and when you do that, so if you're the Yankees, you've now filled your second base hole. Right. You have Kelly Johnson either backing up A-Rod or playing third. You then have the ability to go Soriano in the outfield with uh, Ellsbury and Beltran. Right. You can uh, spell them with Ichiro. He's now right. serving a purpose. At that point, then Ichiro is, is useful. He because has. the salary he's making and the fact... I mean, listen, he can still go get it. Yeah. You know, he can still play a little bit. If he's your fourth outfielder, fine. He's your fifth outfielder, it's trash. Yeah. You have that, and then... <laughs> Whatever you're doing at DH, you can maybe try to bring in an Abanez again, mm-hmm. or see if Arod maybe Arod doesn't get suspended for a hundred games. You know he's out for fifty, yeah. or you know whatever happens, he's your DH. You know that that then is solid one through nine. That whole lineup, yeah, it, it just it makes sense. But right now with the way the Yankees are built, they're outfield heavy, they're lefty heavy, and mm-hmm. they're not. I don't think they're, they're going to do anything to address that. Now listen, I love Gardner. I think he's a great defensive outfielder, and I think him next to Ellsbury in the outfield is going to be a major plus for the Yankees. Right. Yankees pitching is not going to be as good this year, and that outfield is going to help them out. That deep left center field that you have in Death Valley out in Yankee Stadium, they're going to cover all that. Uh, it, it's a huge, huge plus. I, I think, um, you know, if you get into the advanced sabermetric stuff, I was reading something about Gardner, um, just trying to really understand his value. He was worth, as a left fielder, five and a half to six wins, which for, for like, a player at $2.8 million mm-hmm. is an incredible bargain. Right. Um he he's been second to Cano on the Yankees as far as value goes consistently for three years in a row. Okay, it's hard to undervalue. So if you're not, I, that's why if I'm the Yankees, I don't give him away to just get a guy who might fit. You know, there was the Phillips uh, match that we had talked about a little before going on. Right. 
Phillips is a second baseman. He's a great defender. He has, you know, some offensive ability. I think a little bit overstated. Yeah. But you don't just give Gardner away because you need to fill a hole. I think you need to give him away that. and get some real value back. I agree with that. And I, I think Phillips would make them better. And like you said, we talked about this. But the contract for Phillips is a big deal. Yeah. I mean, Phillips is... Uh, he might be 32 on, on opening yeah. day. He, you know, he's right around Cano's age, might be a year older. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but he's locked into a deal where they're paying him another four or five years at big money. Yeah. And he's not worth that kind of money. To me, he reminds me a lot of Orlando Hudson. Yeah. Or, uh, to a lesser extent, maybe even Luis Castillo. I think Castillo is a closer fit yeah. than Hudson. I think Hudson was a better all-around yeah, ball player. So? Yeah, you think so? That's fair. He falls somewhere in between those two guys. And, and <laughs> the thing is that you can see the decline yeah. along that same kind of pattern. Mm-hmm. Guy who plays a lot of innings, you know, which is good. You know, he's rarely hurt. He's in the game. But that wears down on you eventually. You know, when the, when the Mets signed Castillo after they traded for him, it was like he was 31 going on 40. Yeah. You know, and his game was so much built on his legs, and I think mm-hmm. Phillips might hold up a little bit more than that. But like you said, you don't just give up Gardner to bring him on, and especially to take on that salary. Yeah. And there were rumors that um, Brandon Phillips has a no-trade, a limited no-trade. Right. Yankees are on there. And he was like, well, I'll go to the Yankees, but we have to open up my contract and either extend it or add money. And at that point, it's like, Why even bother? Why even bother? No, of course. You know, when I first heard it, I was like, the Yankees are a little crazy to turn this down because, you know, straight value, it makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. But then I looked at the contract. It doesn't make sense. Cincinnati would have to eat half of it at yeah. least. No, at least. And I, then when that other bit of information, true or not, came out, it's like, well, if he's asking for more money, that's ridiculous. He's already overpaid for the type of player he is. Yeah. And, and again, it shows the Yankees being fiscally responsible. Yeah. It, it's the right move. So <clears throat> we sit uh, at this point. The Yankees need – the winter meetings have ended. Mm-hmm. No major moves for the Yankees during that time. No. The biggest holes they now have are a fourth starter. Right. They have Sabathia, Kuroda, Nova, mm-hmm. somebody. No, uh, Kuroda coming back was huge. Very big pickup. And up. we didn't really touch on it much, but them getting McCann was the absolute perfect fit. We had said, it's funny, when we had our, our last recording, uh, somebody... Two think, and a half years ago. Yeah. I don't remember because I don't think back that far. But I remember uh, getting asked the question, if you had to pick one guy for the Yankees to pick up, who would it be from the trades? And immediately Brian McCann. Mm-hmm. That was the answer, and that's what they did. And, and they acted that way. Yeah. They got him long before the winter meetings. They brought him in, and they were like, yeah, yeah. we want you. Let's make it happen. And not for stupid money. You know, I think no. it was a fair contract. He's oh, making yeah. 17 per. Not, not a terrible deal. Absolutely. He's as good. I mean, he had a couple of, of, of little nagging injuries. I think he had his shoulder cleaned up, mm-hmm. like, you know, in between, uh, before the start of last season and things like that. But he's as good of a all-around catcher as anybody in the league, yeah. really. I mean, having you know, have, being a Met fan and watching him with the Braves, I mean, he is a damn good player. Yeah, and he's going to be better in Yankee Stadium again. It plays to his strengths. I think something like eighty-five uh, percent of his home runs are pulled. Yeah, and he, that, that's, perfect. that's perfect for yeah. Yankee Stadium. And you're talking about a guy who, you know, plays in Turner Field in a bigger stadium. Mm-hmm. And he's hitting 20 to 25. So to, to turn that number into 30 to 35 home runs out of your catcher spot yeah. is not unrealistic. You saw what it did for Grandison, who we'll talk about in a minute. Mm-hmm. And 
I think that's the kind of production you're getting at a premium position. And you compare that to the production they got last season where they had like three home runs mm-hmm. out of the catcher's spot. And, and you see how they can replace yeah. Cano's production. You know, I mean, so you McCann hit 20 and he missed. I, I don't think he started playing until like mid-May. Yeah. So you add that at the catcher's spot. You add Ellsbury to the outfield. You add Beltran to your lineup. Yep. You're now seeing the way you can replace Cano, even uh, Teixeira being healthy, potentially Jeter being healthy. Right. You can see how this lineup can be significantly better. So I think the offense is going to be more than passable. I think the offense, as it stands right now, regardless of who they add, believe me, I'd love to add a couple of you know other maybe you know plus on base kind of yeah. second baseman, third baseman. But I think the one guy they really missed out <coughs> on who signed today actually was Infante. Infante, a little too much for me. You know, just, yeah. I, I liked him, yeah. but for what he signed for, I don't know if I would have done that. I don't think I would have given him that deal if I'm the Yankees Ten million either. Per, like, yeah, yeah, that's especially, at the, I think it's the four-year deal. Yeah. You know, would you give, I'll ask you right now, would you have given Omar Infante, the, uh, the perfect comparable is, is the, the, the contract that the Mets gave Bartolo Colon. Would you have given him $10 million per only at two years? Sure. Yeah, two years of ten. You know, no then problem. it may even three. I, I, you can yeah. push it to a third year. I yeah. mean, depending on who they have coming down the pipeline as a second baseman, you never want to potentially block somebody yeah. with a guy like Infante, who again his skill set is only going to diminish. Yeah, he's a nice player. He fits what they do well, but uh, yeah. he's, he's coming off a big year in that Detroit lineup. Yeah, it's, four years yeah. Is, is too long yeah. for him. But again. Along the lines of, of uh, what Seattle had to do and, and what the Mets had to do, you know, Kansas City had to overpay for him a little sure. bit. Because they had an obvious hole, a glaring hole, and they, they wanted to bring him in. Especially after losing out on Beltran, who I think they thought they were in on. Yeah. It's uh, it's one of those things that you can already see how that's not going to work out. Infante's only a couple of years removed from being a non-roster invitee to that's Braves camp. Very you know? true. It's one of those things. <laughs> I'd rather not get in bed with that for four years. That's true. That's a that's a really 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 good point. Especially the length of contract. Again, it's you know the 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 amount of money per in an uncapped sport. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you're a team like the Royals that doesn't have a ton of money, they're on the you know smaller side of the mid market. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? At best, yeah. Uh, you know, it's that's not a ton of money, especially with all the money that these teams are getting from the TV deal. From the Yankees. <laughs> from the Yankees, too. But also from that big TV sure. deal. You know, um, but, you know, the four years, that's, yeah. that's tough. Yeah, uh, that's, that's free agency. You know, we said earlier on that's that's overpaying is, is the name of the game. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> to the original point, I think the Yankee lineup is going to be good, regardless of how they fill the rest mm-hmm. of these holes in the lineup. I think that it's going to be the pitching. That's really what it comes down to. And yep. it's, it's funny because of how good the pitching was last season and how it really was the only reason they, they made it as far as they did last year. Right. But you take Rivera out of the bullpen. You take Pettit out of the rotation. Right. You take away a guy like Boone Logan, who signed today, another, like, solid lefty arm. Uh, he, like, stole a yeah. bag of money. Yeah. He Did you see the contract that he got? Yeah. He got sixteen and a half million dollars for three years. Yeah. I, like, he's good. He's 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 not that good. He's good. <laughs> he's like I would want him on my team at like three million per at most. Yeah, like that's the most. And again, you want to say you know what? We're gonna give him five, but the three year deal yeah. for essentially a situational lefty. Yeah, how that's that, what he is. Yeah, how did that work when the Yankees gave Pedro Feliciano that contract and he never Who pitched? Who is them? Pedro Feliciano? Exactly. I've never heard of this guy. Exactly. Well, the Mets made sure that he would never pitch for the Yankees by making him appear in 12,000 games yeah. over three years. How do you sign him at that? Anyway. And 
we digress, but... I, I will, as an aside, Boone Logan, thank you for striking up Ryan Howard and Chase Utley every time they came up in 2009. It is much appreciated. We can move on. It's true. Yeah. Very true. But, I mean, that just goes to show you the amount of money that these guys are getting. Yeah. Even guys who are mediocre at best. Yeah. We've seen it in the starting pitching market, mm-hmm. and you see it in the closers market, Boone Logan is one of those rarer occasions where, you know, this middle reliever gets this multi-year deal where somebody's like, hey, here's a bunch of money, please. Yeah. But when teams are desperate, that's what they're going to do. Yeah. It's <clears throat> it's to the point now where the Yankees are looking at the trade market, you know, trying mm-hmm. to and go after some of these, these areas. Um, I think there may be it, – it's, it's a tough spot because their top – I'd say their top prospect is probably Slade Heathcott mm-hmm. and Gary Sanchez. Gary Sanchez is a catcher who projects with a lot of power. He's still a little bit lower. Slade Heathcott is a a center fielder, very much a Gardner type with maybe a little bit more pop, but a little bit lower. You're not going to get the same kind of return on them right now because they're still double A-ish. Right. Maybe next offseason would be a good time to move them. If you move them now as opposed to next year, next year you'll probably get a a better return for them. But the reason I bring it up, they they don't really fit with what they have. Well, you have to move them now. I mean, you signed the catcher for (laughs) five years and a center fielder for seven. So they become the most expendable pieces, which is good if they're your best pieces, you know, to begin with. Yeah. Um, there's even talk that they might try to um, – because Sanchez is maybe two and a half years away. Okay. Uh, to the point where McCann might go to DH or first base and, right. you know, uh, Sanchez or you know will do something like that because he actually projects as a better prospect than Montero was. And Montero oh. certainly hasn't panned out a lot, but Man. he has that kind of raw ability. Him too, yeah. Seattle. Get him out of there. <laughs> That's one of those trades that doesn't work out for anybody. Which no, weird, that was right? – yeah, usually you have an obvious winner, an obvious loser. Yeah. You know, or two winners. It's rare that you have two teams that are like, ugh. Yeah. What did we do? Yeah. We could have gotten Cliff Lee for this guy. Yeah. Oh, it's um, very true. Very true. I think the Yankees' big issue is at the back end of the bullpen. That's that's where I was going with that. The Mm -hmm. back end of the bullpen is all guys who are, like, homegrown, average arms that are decent David Phelps, you have Adam Warren, you have, I mean, Robertson is, is the best of the bunch, and he projects right. to be the closer right now, but there's nobody, <laughs> there's no veteran presence out there, and there's nobody else who, like, scares you, thinks, hey, this guy might have some real upside. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'll see, I think, Ben Wellos and Batances might be a couple guys to watch in spring training, um, some younger arms that projected high and have kind of taken a step back in the last year, but there's nobody there. I think they need to bring in a guy. Yeah. If it's Balfour, if it's whoever. Balfour would be a good fit. Yeah. But again, the money thing. for the, if, yeah. if, if Boone Logan's worth $16 million, Ugh. what is Balfour worth? Well, he's not. But yeah. <laughs> I think actually a great fit would have been Joe Nathan. I, yeah. I like Nathan a lot. Yeah. I think Joe Nathan would have been a guy. Uh, first of all, he's from Long Island. So I think he would have liked to have pitched here, all things being equal. Obviously yeah. goes to Detroit. Really good chance to win there. Sure. Definitely be the closer. They needed a closer desperately. Um, I don't think that the Yankees were as desperate for a closer. Yeah. I think they feel fairly confident in Robertson, but I don't think they also want to hand him the job. I'm okay. Which, I'm okay with Robertson. I think he's fine mm-hmm. as a closer, but you need an eighth inning guy. You need somebody else to back him up. Even if you go right. and bring somebody in, you know, and say, "Look, Robertson's a closer." Not a big deal. I think Robertson can do the job, but they just don't have any depth back there. Yeah. And that was the strength last year. Last season, it was they had a ton of guys they could bring in for the 7th, 8th, ninth inning. Right. Especially even though we had his warts, you lose a guy like Jabba, sure. who goes actually to Detroit as yeah. well. But, you know, listen, Jabba might be great 
in Detroit next year. Yeah, he getting, will be. I he's know gonna he will be. be. I, I he is gonna. Him. I heard on the radio today that he might be the steal of the offseason. He got yeah. a two and a half million dollar contract. Yeah. And listen, he's been bad. We've talked at length about how the Yankees fouled him up and how he fouled up his own situation. I think going to a new place, perfect kind of change of scenery guy, I think he'll be very good out there. Working alongside a guy like Nathan, maybe setting up for him, whatever it is. But you lose a guy even like Jabba. Yeah. You know, you lose, you, you let Phil Hughes go. Now, these are yeah. moves the Yankees had to do. Yeah. I mean, they had to let these there's guys There's nobody walk. saying you should have kept them. No, absolutely not. But now there's not even that option. I mean, Phil Hughes <coughs> was a great eighth inning guy for them three years Wasn't ago. Wasn't one of the World Series, yeah. yeah. So, you know, you, you, you don't have him. You don't have Jabba. All of a sudden, you know, Robertson has to be your closer. Can he do it? Probably. Yeah. Has he done it? Not for any extended period of time. You know, the last time we were, they were without Rivera, they had a guy that led the league in saves, right? In yeah, Soriano. Yeah. Turned it into a huge contract for himself. So they've never really been in this situation. I think whoever they bring in to be the eighth inning guy, it has to be that kind of guy who, you know, maybe you don't spend a ton of money on Balfour because he's going to get money to close mm-hmm. somewhere else. Um, but you bring in a guy who has that closer's experience because if Robertson falters, you're going to need someone who can step in and do it. I have a feeling the Yankees, if I had to guess today, I don't think the Yankees will address the bullpen in the in this offseason. They might bring in a, a veteran or something right. like that, but I think they'll go get a starter, get an infielder, and then look at the trade deadline in uh, July. That's possible. For somebody, which is another thing to consider. There are always arms available at that point. Maybe you move a prospect. Maybe yeah. a guy like Heathcott goes in and takes another step and then becomes a chip that somebody wants for, for a closer. That's true. I mean, there are, there are a couple of guys that the, uh, that the Mets are looking at because they have a similar situation going on with Bobby Parnell, mm-hmm. who had a breakout season last year but then got hurt. Yeah. Now, when they, let, um, when they traded uh, Bird and Buck to the Pirates, they got this guy Vic Black. Who also uh, Good name. projects? Yeah, Vic Black. Solid right? name. Every yeah. time somebody calls him Victor Black, I'm like, stop! No, yeah. no, no, Vic Black. Great. Yeah. Good for a closer. Keep it going. Yeah. Uh, he pitched pretty well for the Mets in like some limited duty late September kind of stuff. Um, and they say that they're comfortable going with him as the closer if Parnell isn't ready because they're not sure yet if he'll be ready, you know, at the start of the season. Mm -hmm. But um, to that end, they've also looked into some other guys. Obviously, they let Latroy Hawkins go, which I think was a good move. He wanted to come back. They wanted him back. But he's a guy with an up-and-down career. And Colorado, who seems to be throwing money at these (laughs) relief pitches, they're the ones who signed Boone Logan. I mean, they gave gave him $2.5 million, which doesn't sound like a lot. But the Mets, for the Mets to to balk at the price... Meant yeah. that it was a lot of money. Yeah. Now I wouldn't have said that three weeks ago, but clearly they've made some signings in the meantime. And if they really wanted to keep Latroy Hawkins, and they could have done it for three million. They probably would have. Yeah. But this is a guy they brought in, you know, uh, as a spring training invitee, you know, on a, on, a, on a minor league contract last year. And I don't think they wanted to up the salary that much. So, um, uh, what was I mentioning? Oh, uh, so some of the, the the arms that they've looked into that I think the Yankees could also be in on um, Mitchell Boggs who was a great setup man uh, for St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And then when Jason Mott got hurt, they tried him as the closer. He was so bad that he got released. But again, a guy who's been in that eighth inning spot. <coughs> also, uh, John Axford, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Perez used to close games for the Indians, heard, and yeah. Kevin Gregg. Those have yeah. all been names that have been connected to the Mets, guys that they might meet with. I'm sure they'll probably come away with one of them. It seems like they want yeah. one. 
And I think the Yankees could be in that market where it's not going to be a ton of money. It might even be a minor league deal in January, and then you say, let's see what happens. And to me, that's the right way to attack the bullpen thing. Unless Always. you have a lights out, like a Joe Nathan that you want to go out and get. Right, or Jim Johnson. That's fine. But bullpen arms are so fungible year over year. You mm-hmm. have a guy who dominates one year and is nothing the following year. The Orioles are a great example. You know, last uh, two years ago, they won, I think they were 16-2 and two in one-run games. Mm-hmm. The following year, they flipped the script. They were awful in one-run games. Yeah, exactly. It, it's, it, and it was because of the bullpen. The bullpen was what made them good that year and bad the following year. Same guys, same arms. Jim Johnson yep. didn't blow a save all season and then blew like five the following year. Right. Which is still a good year, by the way. Sure. He still had, yeah. like, <laughs> he yeah. still still had, had a good year. He's like 50-something saves. I mean, he did a great job. <laughs> Up until he was blowing saves against Raul Labanias that postseason, which yeah, was one very of my true. favorite things ever. <laughs> uh, I was at one of those games it was so much fun uh and it's so weird i have to think of a couple of years ago when i was at that playoff game it's weird i don't like it it's i don't know what the playoffs are usually yeah. once october rolls around i just worry about my birthday my halloween costume yeah you know football eh, yeah. i don't know now playoffs are and actually that's let, let's let's use that really quick no team in new york is going to make the playoffs or made the playoffs in the past <sighs> year uh, I guess, well, I guess the big four, right? Knicks, uh, Yankees, Mets, Jets, Giants. I guess the, the, the four, uh, baseball and football. Right. And then going forward, Knicks, Nets, uh, Rangers, Islanders, Devils, all don't project to make the playoffs. Yeah, that's really bad. This is the worst time of year. Yeah, so something's got to give for Again, that. Before, before going negative, because there's a ton of negative I want to get to, let's talk about the Mets offseason, because I think they have done a phenomenal job. I think they, they have put themselves in a position where they can realistically compete, I think, for the first time in a long time. I, I, I'll agree with that as well. Um, you know me. I'm, I'm more the optimistic Mets mm-hmm. fan. Um, I have no problem critiquing them when I think they're doing something you know poorly. Uh, we haven't been on air in the last couple of weeks, but I was, I was pretty down on them mm-hmm. because, by all accounts, it seemed like they weren't going to do anything. Yeah. And they were going to use you know more excuses, the Harvey injury, things like that. Um, and it was more to the point of, hey, why tell us to look for 2014 if you're not going to do anything in 14? Mm-hmm. Now, it was early. There was uh, not a lot of things happening. Some stuff happened. But when you've been as bad as the Mets have been and you've spent as little money as the Mets have spent since Sandy Alderson's got here, when you're like, oh, we're going to be more active in the free agent market and then you spring and sign Chris Young for seven and a quarter million dollars – you're like, wow, is that it? Like, is yeah. that going to be the move? Because yeah. he just got more money than almost anybody that Sandy Alderson has signed since he's been here. Yeah. So, you know, there's some reason for skepticism. And obviously, Chris Young, not a great ball player. Mm-hmm. However, if you bring him in, he's a guy with power potential. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that can play all three outfield spots, which is nice, gives you some flexibility, definitely improves the outfield defense. Um, and he's a right-handed hitter with pop. Now, they had Marlon Byrd last year in that role. There was some talk about wanting to bring him back. He got an absurd contract from the Phillies. Another thing, like, with Infante. This is a guy who, two years ago, was the worst player in baseball. Got cut, got suspended. Yeah. And, you know, he had a good year for the Mets. And he's a pretty good ball player. He's not worth $16 million for two years. Bad contract. You know, would I have given him eight for one? Yeah, if he signed that deal with Philly, right. I'd say, you know what, bring him back. Because you almost gave Chris Young that, and he didn't have near the year mm-hmm. that Bird did. But So they bring in Chris Young, and then uh, some skepticism. It, it looks weird. They seem to be not involved in some of these guys. Looked like they wanted Peralta. 
again, Peralta got too much money mm-hmm. for the type of player he is. But Cardinals are in win win now mode. They need a shortstop. He's a big bat for them. Fine. They go out. They get Granderson. I don't think there is a better fit than Curtis Granderson for what the Mets needed. Left-handed power bat in the outfield that you know can succeed in New York because he's done it. I think it's perfect. <coughs> From day one, I said Granderson was a good fit. I thought, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I, I had jokes about Cano going to the Mets initially, but ton of power, <laughs> like you said. Cano would have been a perfect fit, yeah, by the way. Absolutely. What the Mets need, but, you know. I think the biggest plus that Granderson brings to the table beyond his power is his, like, the way he, he does it in the clubhouse. He is right. a very professional player. Mm-hmm. He sets the right tone. He goes and is a really good example for the players who are coming up. As is David Wright. Exactly. So with him and David Wright leading, kind of shaping the, that clubhouse, shaping that team, it's a huge plus when you're developing for another year from now. You know, right. assuming they're not going to be a World Series team this year. I, I mean, I think with the Cologne deal, with the Granderson deal, with Harvey's coming back from his injury, mm-hmm. with Syndergaard, with Wheeler, with all these things, you are now, like... A year away right. from competing, realistically, for a, a division, for a playoff, you know, yeah. run. And Granderson is a step in the right direction for that reason. You know, Absolutely. When you're the Yankees and you've had Jeter and Bernie Williams and Paul O'Neill and all these guys who are leaders in the clubhouse, the impact is there, but it's not as strong. When you're a team that is young and has struggled for so long and has had so many injuries and controversies and problems in the last mm-hmm. few years, when you can start to establish, hey, look, we have David Wright. He's going to play the game the right way. We have Curtis Granderson. He's going to play the game the right way. Matt Harvey is going to play the game the right way. Right. That that goes and sets the example of what the Mets are about. It gives you an identity. Even a guy a like Daniel Murphy plays Absolutely. the game hard one hundred percent of the time. <clears throat> and if he ends up staying, like that's that's a huge you know mm-hmm. that, that's that's your Mets identity. Mets have lacked an identity for a very long time. They have. Even when they were winning, I don't think they had much of an identity. And I think Granderson recognized that. I think he sees the opportunity there where he can go and step in and be that kind of a guy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, say he wants to stay in New York, and obviously the Mets gave him a ton of money the extra year, all that. I think Granderson recognized the chance to do something special-ish with the Mets. That's now, true. I look forward to him failing horribly because <laughs> of what he said. Oh, true New Yorkers are Mets fans. Like, no, yeah. you're wrong, okay? True oh. New Yorkers are whatever fans they were born and raised as. That's true. Stop trying it's, to pander to sell jerseys, all right? Stir in the pot a Be little a man, bit. Yeah, all right? it's fine. Because of Granderson, I am so looking forward to getting my Beltran jersey just because I've never met fans face ever met in my life. I'm also probably going to get an Ellsbury jersey for every Red Sox fan I know. That's true. I would get a cologne jersey, but I don't think they make one small enough to fit me. (laughs) By the way, all right, I'm not an investor by any stretch, but if I could invest in anything right now, wouldn't it be Shake Shack? Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? Cologne? Shake Shack? Absolutely. That's how they're paying the $20 million, I think. Yeah, no, they're not going to pay him. They're just, he has free reign at Shake Shack. Shake Shack might go out of business if it's free reign. If the Mets pick up the bill, Shake Shack stock (laughs) goes through the roof. Listen, the Mets can't pick up the bill on Shake Shack. They're not that far removed from the Madoff situation. (laughs) If picking up the tab at Shake Shack means not signing Stephen Drew, I'm going to be very upset. No, but uh, in, in all seriousness, um, Cologne is overweight, very much so. I'm not really sure how he's <laughs> no doing kidding. it. Yeah, he's like the fattest guy I've ever seen since like yeah. maybe David Wells. Yeah, like especially towards the end, David Wells put on a ton of weight. Yeah, he looked like a mess. But somehow he was successful too. They, uh, I will say, Cologne when he came to the Yankees was lights out. Yeah. for a long time he was struggled a little bit, got hurt, went back to Oakland. 
same thing. Lights out he pitching. He was 18 and 6 last year with a 2.35 He And not surprising at all. Arguably that's... the best pitcher available on the market. And, yeah. and that's where I'm going to go with this for the Mets. Like, they were talking about being in the mix for, you know, obviously the strength of their team is pitching. You know, they have pitching uh, galore at the at the major league level with mm-hmm. a lot of these young guys that are really starting to burst in, like, uh, you know, onto the scene. Obviously, the Harvey injury hurts them in that regard, but they have more pitching coming. So everybody assumed that they would go get a guy like Dice K yeah. or Harang that actually both pitched pretty well for them last year, and they yeah. still might bring one of those guys in to kind of compete for the fifth spot, but that that's where they would be. Mm-hmm. And you'd have John Neese or Zach Wheeler kind of start on opening day, and you'd piece it together until Harvey was back. The fact that they went out and got Cologne lets you know that they are serious about trying to win. Because, listen, at 40 years old, what is Cologne going to give you, especially, you know, again, with his weight, with the arm problems? But he's been very consistent, like you said, since the Yankees brought him back to baseball three years ago. Yeah. Now, if he gives you three quarters of what he did last year, that's a huge plus. And on a two-year contract... $10 $10 million per. I mean, if he's 35, 36 years old, he's getting a four or five year deal mm-hmm. coming off last year. And, you know, I mentioned this to you before we went on that, you know, if you compare Cologne and the money he got to some of the other pitchers that have already signed, would you rather have Cologne for two years and 20 million or Phil Hughes for three years, 30 plus? It's 24, but yeah. Uh, what yeah. else? Excuse yeah. me. Okay, 24. Still. Or Ricky Nolasco, who's a fine pitcher. Four years, $47 million. Yeah. I'd rather have Cologne, to be honest with you. He's he's had a better career than either one of those guys. So, you know, let's see. <clears throat> you watch Cologne pitch, and, you know, I, I didn't obviously see him as much as in Oakland because they're out in the West. But right. he, what he did with the Yankees, he had a two-seam fastball. He threw very low pitch counts, and he just got guys breaking bats and getting out. Yeah. You know, he, he was very efficient. He would get through eight innings and mm-hmm. breeze. That's one of those things that if you're doing it, it's not like you're you're throwing your arm out. You're not right. throwing tons of pitches. You're not putting yourself out of ball games. I'm pretty sure that his ball to strike ratio, uh, his walk to strike, uh, walk to strikeout ratio, yeah. excuse me, was four or five to one. Yeah, no, it was Which, obscene, absolutely it was insane. Yeah, uh, great fit, and I think the two year deal, as much as anything else, it's it's the one year this year to to kind of see how much you can, how far you can go. Right. I think, and back to big picture, just really quickly, I think if the Mets can make the playoffs this year and just get their their you know like uh, beaks wet a little bit in that right. environment would be a huge plus for the organization going forward. But now you have him for a second year when Harvey's back, when Wheeler is now seasoned and mm-hmm. I would assume ready to go. Syndergaard will be up probably. <coughs> Syndergaard will be imagine. up. Now all of a sudden some of these guys that the Mets were reluctant to trade become very tradable. Yeah. A John Neese, a Dylan G, or a Montero. Yeah. You know, or whatever it is. Or Cologne. Yeah. You know, whatever you want to do, That's there the becomes point. a lot of things that they can do where they can actually deal from a strength. And look to make their team better elsewhere. And that's where I really like when you when you hear the criticism of oh it's a two year deal for a forty year old guy. That second year is where you where you think you're going to get over the hump, and now you right. have him for that. Worst case, you move him. Somebody will take a flyer on him. Worst case, worst case, he gets hurt, and you know that happens. But right. but again, at ten million, yeah. You're and not, when you have so much of the, you're not relying on him. He's not your guy to like. Oh, he's now our ace, and we need right. him to be. Randy Johnson in his prime. Exactly. We just need him to, to produce as he has, or maybe even a little bit less than he has, and he'll be a, a valuable exactly. asset. Exactly. And you look at it now, coming off the year that he had, it's not ridiculous, again, that you'd get 
three quarters of that production. So, you know, do you need a little bit of a, of a stabilizing force? Yeah, you do. They're in a very, a, a very odd position where you're kind of asking him to be the ace maybe in year one. Yeah. Maybe in name only where he's the guy who's been there and done that and produced. So he's your opening day starter. He's your ceremonial kind of guy. Yeah. But he quickly goes from ace in year one to fifth starter in year yeah. two if everything breaks the way you think it's going to. I mean, if you have a healthy Harvey back and a maturing Wheeler and a Syndergaard who's now, you know, basically followed in the track of Harvey and Wheeler, so that'll be his second year. Mm-hmm. And Nice, and G, and Montero, and maybe Mejia, who knows what you're getting. You know, now all of a sudden you have a, 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 a great amount of depth at the position, and you can put Cologne in the fifth spot. Yeah. He goes from being your ace to your fifth starter. I'll take that. Yeah. And that's Ten, why the way pitchers get paid. Yeah. You're saying you, you could pay Cologne $10 million to be your fifth starter? I'll that's take fine. it. Especially when you're able to pay Harvey and Wheeler and like nothing because nothing. they're on young contracts. Exactly. So it's a good move. I think the Mets project well. So they have Granderson, they have Young. Yep. They have Cologne in right. their rotation. What else do the Mets need to do between now and, and February, March? <sighs> I think. Uh, that they really, really, really need to upgrade. There's two positions, first base and shortstop. Mm-hmm. Now, they have a lot of guys orga- organizationally that they think can play first base. They don't have anyone that can play shortstop. So that would be my spot. Mm-hmm. I also, I've never been a Ruben Tejada guy. You know that. Yep. I'm not a Lucas Duda guy either. <laughs> I hate Lucas Duda. We know. I hate him so much. I don't want him on the team. I think it's a mistake to get rid of Davis and keep Duda. However, for everything that we talked about before with Jabba Chamberlain, I can see the change of scenery being necessary. Yeah. Also, if Lucas Duda is in a lineup with Granderson and Young that produces, you know, uh, somewhat. I, I think if you give him 500 at-bats, like he's probably going to hit 20 home runs plus. Mm-hmm. You know, he might bat 230, but I think he's going to hit 20 home runs because he's got that kind of pop. Where you don't have to ask Lucas Duda to bat fourth, I think he can be a productive-ish player if Lucas is maybe batting second with his high on-base percentage mm-hmm. or batting seventh. All of a sudden, I can live with him if they want to try him there for a year. I can't live with Tejada because I don't think he does anything plus. Mm-hmm. You know, Lucas Duda has a lot of power, and he has a good eye at the plate. He's also not a butcher at first base the way he is in left field, so we can live with that. Tejada's not a plus speed guy. He's not a plus power guy. He's supposed to be a plus contact guy, but he strikes out a lot. He was supposed to be a very above-average shortstop with not great range but great instincts and great hands and he regressed in the field last year so for me i don't care if he's 23 or 24 i'm kind of done you know terry collins doesn't really like him he thinks he's lazy Mm -hmm. and you know a couple years ago i criticized terry collins for that but now we're kind of seeing the fruits of that yeah so i think that's the the most glaring area with nobody coming down the pipeline i think you have to look at stephen drew as a replacement. So how much does Drew get? There's talk that he has a standing offer from the Red Sox for two years. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, he turned down the qualifying offer. So you know what he's going to get him on a one-year deal. Because he just as soon as go back to the Red Sox, probably for what the qualifying offer is, because they yeah. want him back. So you're not going to get him on a one-year deal. Um, if he does, in fact, have a two-year deal sitting with the Red Sox, he's going to go back there. Sure. 
if you have to stretch it, if you can get Drew for three years, I don't know, 30, 35, somewhere in that range, probably more than 30, maybe 35, 35 36, 36 probably closer, does it. Yeah. Um, if you can get him for that, I think that you, if you're the Mets, you, you make that move. And listen, he's not a great player. He's not a player without his warts, like I mentioned before, but he will give you above average power at the position. He plays above average defense. And I think he's a significantly better player than Ruman Tejada. And again, it's not like the Mets have a stud prospect coming at shortstop where you're like, well, you know what? If we can commit to him for a year or two, we'll be fine. But the third year is really where we don't want to be involved. The Mets have nobody coming at that spot. Yeah. So pay him for three years. Get him away from the Red Sox. The Red Sox are not... I think they want him back, but I don't think they're going to battle for him because I think they're okay with, with Bogarts and, and Middlebrooks, right. honestly. Yeah. I, I think they'll him. go to war with those two guys if they have to. So I think Drew provides them with good insurance, but I think if you give Drew the extra year now and you guarantee him the playing time of the starting shortstop, which I don't know if he'll necessarily get in Boston, if one of those if those two other guys outperform him, he's going to be sitting on the bench. Mm-hmm. I think he'll come here. I think that that's where they have to go first. So when you have your infield, say, as Wright, Drew, Murphy, Duda... At first base. I'm assuming that Davis will be gone. Right. Darno, Granderson, uh, uh, Ligaris, Ligaris and, Young. and Young. How good is that team? That's, I mean, it's, it's, it's good enough to compete, I think. Yeah. You know, it steps in the right direction. You know, is it a, is it a, a playoff team? I don't know. Is it a contending for the wild card spot team? I think it could. Mm-hmm. I think it could if you get what you want out of the pitching. You know, um... You know, again, listen, I wouldn't trade Davis, and, and, and there's two things. I wouldn't trade him for nothing, and there are two things that Sandy Alderson said um, a couple days ago that really resonated with me, and I think should with a lot of Met fans. He said, in regards to Davis, he said, uh, people, we don't have to advertise what we what we have. People know what we have available. Uh, but we've never been in the business of giving away players, and it's not a business that I want to get involved in. Mm. So, you know, is he asking a lot for Davis? Probably. But he asked, nobody thought he'd get Wheeler for Beltran, and nobody thought he'd get Darno, let alone Darno and Syndergaard for Dickey. You know, guys are going to start to get desperate. Mm-hmm. The Brewers now are looking like, you know, the only guy without a date, you know, in the yeah. first base market. You know what I'm saying? Um, so they might start to get desperate. And I think that that's something where he's, he's saying, hey, listen, you know, would we like to kind of uh, uh, clear up this first base logjam? Would we like to give Davis a change of scenery and also not have to pay him the $4 million? We can invest it somewhere else. Yes, but are we going to give Davis to you? No, we're not because we think he can be a valuable player. The other thing that he said was that, um, and this was regards to uh, Johan Santana, potentially mm-hmm. bringing him back on a right. minor league deal. And he said, quite frankly, you know, um, we, would, we would entertain the idea, but 2014 is not about rehabs. And it's not about uh, um, you know building; it's about winning and it's about competing. Mm-hmm. So you know those two things, I, I think, really bode well for for what the Mets are trying to do. You know, is it going to get them all the way back? No, but you can't get all the way back in one off season. Mm-hmm. That's why I think certain guys like Drew become more necessary. There's a lot of shortstops that potentially will be available next off season. 
but you can't bank on some of them. Some of them are a little older, i.e. Jimmy Rollins, mm-hmm. um, and some of them might never reach the free agent market like uh, Hanley Ramirez and J.J. Hardy. These are guys that are, you know, extension candidates or trade slash, you know, trade then extension candidates. So, you know, you're not going to bring in a guy like Drew who makes you better today to hope that you can sign J.J. Hardy, who, yeah, is a better player than Drew. Yeah. But, you know, why are you putting all your eggs in that basket? Ideally, I'd love to have Tulowitzki. If they could go get Tulowitzki in a trade, he's not available this year. But you know what? If he's available next year, go get him anyway and then figure out what you're going to do with Drew. Yeah. That's the way that I would operate. And I, I think that there's there's something to it. I, I They've also been exploring the trade market for shortstops, mm-hmm. which I think is another thing to do. They don't want to put all their eggs in one basket. But without giving up some of their high-level pitching, which I know they're not going to do this season, it, I don't know what you could get. You're not going to get a Tulo, whether he's available yeah. or not. You're not going to get Starling Castro. Mm-hmm. You might be able to pry a guy away from um, Arizona that has three or four top middle infield prospects, but can they play right away? Can right. they not? I mean, Drew is, for all of his positives and negatives, is a above-average major league shortstop, period. And the Mets don't have one. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested right? to see what you guys do. Um, <laughs> I know I went off a little bit, but I, that's how I feel about it. It's it's the right move. So I'm happy so far. Let me only, say that. I'm yeah. not trying to be hypercritical. Yeah. I just think that they need at least one more piece of that kind of significance. A Drew, that kind of guy. So your rotation seems pretty set-ish. Your lineup looks like it's pretty close to being set. Again, mm-hmm. like those couple of little things the Yankees have. The only other thing is the bullpen. What do you think... As far as I know, we talked a little bit about the arms out there. Do yeah. you think they, they have a team that would be able to close games out and hold on to leads? Or You know, if, if Parnell was healthy, I would be very confident mm-hmm. because I think some of the younger guys they have out there um, took some steps forward mm-hmm. in like a baptism by fire right. last season. Also, they've they've started since Alderson's been here. They've followed that mold of, you know, the kind of thing that like the Cardinals do or the Rays. Not so much where they bring their best pitchers and put them in the bullpen to start. The Mets reluctant to do that. But what they've done is they've acquired uh, all these hard-throwing relievers Mm -hmm. in the hopes that, you know, they'll figure it out. Because if we need a guy to come in and get a strikeout, it's it's better to have a guy who throws 98 than a guy who throws, you know, 89. Right. That kind of thing. So they have a few young arms that project as that. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they will be in on one of those guys that I mentioned before, either an Axford mm-hmm. or uh, a Chris Perez, one of those right. guys. Um, and I, I think that that's what they're going to go to war with. And I think, you know what, if they come away with one of those guys, uh, Axford, Perez, and they have Vic Black and Parnell turns out to be healthy, I think their bullpen's in good shape. Yeah. It would be if Parnell isn't healthy, that would be the, the major cause for concern. But any team that loses their closer is going to be in a bad spot. Definitely. So. So uh, it, we'll see what happens. You know, mm-hmm. I think the rest of this uh, month will we'll start to shed some light. Absolutely, uh, agents that have uh, have said that Christmas tends to be a really hard deadline for a lot of players. You know, they want to yeah. know where they're going to be by the holiday. True. So I think we'll see a lot of movement in the next week and get a little bit of a clearer picture. I think so too. I think there might be some movement on Drew. I think, yeah. um, like I said, with with uh, if the Mets can move Ike Davis's salary mm-hmm. again, I know it's not a ton of money, but I think they would be inclined to push. For Drew in that in the event that that happens, yeah. and you know, uh, listen, Corey Hart went to Seattle, 
Then Logan Morrison was traded to Seattle. He's probably going to play the outfield, but he's another first base guy that was available. James Loney went back to the Rays today on a three-year deal. Mm -hmm. They were a little hot after Davis. It's basically leaving uh, Milwaukee without a first baseman and the Mets saying, here, but we want something of value back. You know, they're asking for a pitcher back that they think they, you know, can slide right into their rotation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Interesting thing that I heard today was pure speculation. I think it was Buster only one of those guys tweeted. Yeah. Um, Kendris Morales yeah. is a guy that, because of the qualifying offer, might be a team-friendly one-year deal, you know, for a team like the Mets in February, early March because he's had seemingly no market. Yeah. And that's a guy that if the Mets could get him would be an absolute steal, especially now, on a one-year deal. Where are the Mets as far as the draft pick thing goes? They Their first pick is protected. That's what I thought, yeah. So, you know, they and they, they said that they would, you know, uh, relinquish picks for the right players. Yeah. And uh, obviously they did with Granderson. Right. And there's also talk, um, it's just internet chatter, but that Alderson is comfortable giving up a pick even for Drew, he's less comfortable about the years than he is with the pick. How does the pick – so if the Mets the Mets have already signed Granderson, right. their pick is protected. Right. If they sign Drew or Morales, does it then go away because you've signed two or three guys? Or is the pick no, just protected? No, the pick is – It's the, other rounds the they give up? The first pick is always protected. It's the other rounds that oh, they yeah. give up. So they've lost their second round pick for Grandison. It would be third and then fourth if, if they, they were to sign guys. Morales and, and Drew. So, uh, and, you know, it's not football. <laughs> I'll tell you what, you as, as a one-time investment like that, I think it's totally worth it. It'd be an interesting way to see the Mets go. It, it would be. Especially because you keep your first, it's top ten, I think, that's protected, right? It's so they the top have a, ten. They have a top ten pick. That's You get that, that's going to be worth more than the second and the third. Absolutely. Guys come out of the 37th round and turn into aces. It's not like you're, you know. Right, exactly. You know, so it's like, I guess there is value to the picks. Mm-hmm. You don't want to give them away like crazy. Yeah. But at the same time, you do need to realize when the picks are more valuable than the players and vice versa. Yeah. You know, last couple of years, yeah, the Mets are trying to get out from under some, some, some bad contracts. And that's fine. But I think also they realize that they're... Their farm system wasn't great. It was getting better through some of their trades, but I think they wanted to keep those picks, yeah. and I think that made a lot of sense. You know, um, would they have brought Michael Bourne in last year if their first-round pick was protected? Maybe. Yeah. You know, but again, the contract that Michael Bourne got, I mean, would you rather have... I think Michael Bourne got four with a five-year option yeah. or five years straight up. Would you rather have Michael Bourne or Curtis Grandison? Yeah. If Curtis Grandison didn't have two freak injuries last year, he probably would get a $100 million contract. Sure. Yeah, hit another 40 home runs, it'll do that. Yeah. I mean, he'd be coming off three years in a row, 40 home runs. If you're telling me that Chu is worth seven or eight years at 90 to 100 million, Granderson's not? Yeah. I know he's maybe a year or two older, but still, he would have gotten upwards of, of 80 million, 90 million dollars in this market. So the fact that he was able to fall to them for four years at 60, which is a very reasonable contract for a player of his caliber. Mm hmm. Yeah. It speaks for itself. I don't know what else Sounds to say. Good, right? it's, uh, it's, it's nice to talk about the Mets in such a positive light. Anyway. So let's move a little bit more negative. Now, uh. <clears throat> I'm not going to go all the way negative because I think there's there's still something at least to watch. But certainly more negative than uh, the baseball offseason so far has been. Which is York. always fun, too. Yeah. You know, especially as a New York team, Mets weren't really in it the last couple of years. But it's nice because the New York teams yeah, get a lot of players. Money it's kind of... 
I, listen, as a Yankee, really quickly, I like the Ellsbury pickup. Right. I like the Beltran pickup. I like the McCann pickup. Those are three big moves that add something to your team. I'm all about it. Right. But let's go a little bit negative now. So <clears throat> the Jets are a team. New York right. Jets, they play football. Uh, allegedly, they play in the New York market. They had <laughs> a 5-4 and four record. They were coming off a huge win against the New Orleans Saints in the public eye. They were going into their bye week where they were able to recover and recuperate and go into the soft part of the schedule. And then they lost, and then they lost, and then they lost. Yeah. And essentially ended their season as far as anybody was concerned. But here we go. Another week later, the Jets beat the Raiders. I went there for my birthday. It was great. Uh, You know, I actually had tickets to that game. Did you? For free. Yeah. But I found out Saturday night, and with everything that was going on with my move and stuff, I couldn't get it to work. So I couldn't go. As So let's talk about that really quick. I had a, a <laughs> really upset. good time. I like, know. I was going to call you. I was very happy. <clears throat> I went to a tailgate. It was 20 bucks. I'm all so you can upset. drink, all you can eat, people hanging out. There was a tent. It was cold, but there was a tent, so it wasn't bad. Uh, totally worth it. We need to go to a game. We do. As, as the bad one, as they the are. The one thing I'll add about the, the uh, about the tickets that I ultimately didn't take, um, I found out about them last minute. I knew you were going to the game. Yeah. Um, my girlfriend, who would love to go to a Jet game, probably would not have loved going to that particular frigid Jet game. Yeah. So, those tickets would have been better served for, like, uh, you and I to go together. Right. Rather than her and I potentially meeting you. Right. Because she would have been miserable because she's always cold and it was friggin' freezing Understood. on Sunday. Yeah. And it so, was. It was one of those, you like, know, I stopped feeling some of my foot. Kind of games. Was it as cold as the game that we went to? No. Not right? even close. <laughs> Not even close. Uh, I was telling stories about that game at the game we were at. So, For those of you who don't know, which is none of you, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Tom and I went to the uh, the win and we're in game. Sunday against, night game against uh, Cincinnati. Yeah, Sunday night against Cincinnati, which was the coldest day in the tri-state area in, I think, like 60-something years. It was a straight zero, below zero, like, without the wind chill. Right. It was, like, negative numbers, and then wind chill was, like, another 15 degrees under that. Yeah, I remember I met you here. Yeah. Uh, we're actually at Tom's uh, in Queens today. Yeah, which we never is, mentioned that, which, which is, is different. Yeah, yeah we, we've never been here doing the podcast before, but I met him here, and then we uh, we hopped on the train, and on our way there, it was a, you know, it was above-ground subway. Uh, there was a, uh, a frozen-to-the-ground, recently-spilled Dunkin' Donuts hot chocolate. Yeah. And it has to be really cold for someone to drop a hot drink... And then for us to pass by minutes later and have it spilling out but frozen, like yeah. some kind of weird art that you would pay for. <laughs> yeah, like it only got so far out of the cup. It looked like, I remember seeing it, and it looked like it kind of exploded out and just froze midair. Yeah. It's like, that doesn't happen, you know, that's no, a weird thing. I, I know in places like Minnesota and Chicago that might happen, but I don't care about those places because yeah. I don't live there. Yeah, so not as cold as that. I will say as well... The seats were far uh, better than out in the parking lot, uh, which I guess makes sense because the wind in the parking lot and all that. True. But the stadium, not that bad, and certainly not nearly as bad as the last time I was there. But it's cold nonetheless. Uh, all of that aside, Jets played a much better game. They did. They put up 37 points. Yeah, against a much worse team. But Sure, but not like the Bills and the Dolphins and all these other teams they've been losing to have these graded teams either. True. And Smith looked a lot more accurate. He made mm-hmm. his... Big mistake early, but recovered. 
and a couple of good passes. All of a sudden, Jeremy Carley's in the lineup, and he can complete a pass to somebody. Yeah. Not a coincidence. No. I cannot wait for San Antonio Holmes to be off this team, oh, by the way. Oh, man. I kind of don't want the Jets to make the playoffs, part of me, just so that the season ends faster, just so that they can cut San Antonio Holmes faster. Yeah. Because he is, like, the bane of my existence. But go ahead. Yeah. So now here they sit. The Jets are 6-7. and seven. Not good, right? Ever. 6-7. and seven. But in the huh. AFC this year, 6-7 and seven is in the hunt as far as those graphics go on Sunday afternoon. The Jets have the Panthers who are excellent. Mm-hmm. The Jets have the Browns. The Jets have the Dolphins remaining on their schedule. Let's let's go crazy talk. Somehow, the Jets beat the Panthers. Okay. They good, won't, but... Good, good defenses. Uh, you know, Cam Newton breaks his ankle for some reason, uh, <laughs> which maybe we don't want. Ducky's getting mad at us for saying that because there are some Jet fans that want him to replace Geno Smith in a couple of years, but... Let's just say the Jets do something. The defensive line plays a great game. They get a couple turnovers. Smith goes nuts. Jets win the game. They have Cleveland. They have Miami. Cleveland's at home. Miami's on the road. They should beat Cleveland at home with Cleveland having nothing to play for. And they should beat Miami just by sheer... It's tough to get a sweep. Yeah, you know, and in the NFL. Let's just say Geno playing in, in a warm weather environment as the last week of the season. Why not? Let's go with that, right? Sure. So the Jets are nine and seven. What do the Jets need to do or need to have done to make the playoffs as a nine and seven team? The answer is not that much, to be honest. Like right. the Ravens have three games left. Uh, they have uh, Detroit. They have the Patriots. They have uh, the Bengals. Right. They need to lose two of those three. That's possible. Not likely, but possible. I think all of those teams are better than Baltimore. Yep. They're, listen, they're the Super Bowl champ. It's hard to count them out. They have a quarterback in Flacco. They they're have not a defense. They're they're very inconsistent. They played some bad teams. They are they, they can lose a game. They can lose two. Not crazy. The Dolphins are ahead of them right now. But if the Jets were to go and win those games, the Jets would have the tiebreaker if it's between just those two teams. Right. So that's doable. And the Chargers are the third team in this mix. They're I think they they just won, so they're now seven and seven. Right. They would need to lose a game. Straight up, if it's the Jets and the uh, Chargers, the Chargers would own the tiebreaker based on conference record. Right. But the Chargers won last night against Denver, which is shocking to me. They also still have the Chiefs on their schedule. Right. With the Chiefs having, I I guess, not so much to play for now. They've lost two to Denver, but they have... You know, they're going to be playing... But with Denver losing, the, the window's at least a little bit open for that division now. True. They have a shot. So there's something to play for. All of these things happen... The Jets could find their way in. So, optimistic Tom, because we haven't got all negative yet, there's something to play for this week. There's there a reason to play. So, <clears throat> what do the Jets do? I, I I am so looking forward to see the way they play this game. There's such a spectrum of what could happen. I think Smith could certainly bounce. bounce. I, I want to see him have two, two good games in a row. This These next three games, to me, are the, the proof or the, the, the we don't want him anymore with Geno Smith. If you can go and put together a couple of consistent performances, you can see why maybe you don't draft a quarterback this year. Maybe you don't go crazy trying to trade for somebody this year. You don't worry about Cousins. You don't look at—I've thrown the name out Roethlisberger a couple times. You don't go crazy trying to find that. Maybe you try to build a team around him. So I think this week would be a really good test. I think Carolina's good. I don't know if they're a 9-4 and four good. You know, they're, they're, they've got a great defense. They have a great quarterback. But yep. I don't know—they still have holes. There are still ways I think you can beat them. This 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 game strikes me. I, I you said before. I think the the Jets are like an eleven and a half point underdog. Yeah. 
Uh, uh, let me just say, they're going to lose. Okay, let's. Uh, this was the they're, hypothetical. No, they're defi- this was fun. Right. They're going to lose by thirty points. That's fine. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> they're definitely going to lose. What I was going to say is, this game strikes me as one of those games that the Jets are known for, where it is painstakingly awful to watch. Mm-hmm. Whereas, listen, you know, when the Jets lost the Bengals this year and they got their doors blown off. You know, after the first quarter, we watched the whole game together because we're stupid. Yeah. But we could have, like, went out and got a pizza yeah. or, like, went out and got a drink somewhere yeah. or did anything yeah. else Cut instead of anything uh, else. But we stayed and watched <laughs> it because we're dumb. But if it's a blowout, especially knowing that the season kind of hinges on it, mm-hmm. you could get up and we could leave this game. Yeah. I think that we both expect a blowout. I think most people expect a blowout, and I think this has all the makings of a game that we're going to look back at, you know, 5 o'clock on Sunday and be like, the Jets could have won this game, but if not for... 7 o'clock, excuse me. (laughs) The Jets could have won this game if for not, you know, but this this is what happened. And uh, I don't know, I feel like they're going to lose it like, you know, 13-10. And that's what's going to happen. They're going to win. They're going to beat the Browns. They're going to lose Miami Week 17. Because that's what the Jets do. The Jets just rip your heart out and stomp on it and then do like a little Mexican hat dance around it. The Jets are that kind of a team. I, they're going to win. I, I just I feel it in my bones they're going to win this that's true. game. The only thing that would be more painful than what I described, yep. where it's like, oh, that game was right there, and yeah. if we would have made one play, or if Geno didn't make one mistake, kind of like the first Patriot yep. game this year. Yep. Um, the only thing that would be more painful than that is everything that you described. Yeah. The Jets come out, and they give you that Atlanta Falcons... That yeah. that New Orleans performance where it's like, I don't think they're going to win. Holy crap, they won. Yep. And then they turn around and it's like, yeah, we got positive momentum. We got the Browns at home. The Browns are terrible. Yeah. We beat the Browns. And then Miami will beat us yep. in the last game. Yeah. And we'll be there. Finish 8-8, eight and eight, get a bad draft pick. <laughs> Just bad enough. Just that middle-of-the-road yeah. draft pick. You know. Yeah, that's, that's, that's probably what's going to happen. Draft Vernon Golston again. Yeah, well, he's entering back in. He's re-eligible for the draft yeah. now. He was so bad that they let him go back. Yeah, Jess will take him at six. <laughs> so we're going negative again. Uh, while we're on it, let's go really quick. We're going long because it's been a long time, but the other sports in New York have also been pretty bad. Wait, wait, wait hang on. Before you – I didn't know where you were going with that. Yeah. So what is your we, – we've talked a lot. We've yeah. joked a lot. What is your actual prediction for the Jets game? Um, if you look at you this logically, give me a score. Yeah, just give, me, give me something logically, roundabout. You would think the Panthers are going to win. I do. Th- so the Panthers are, are very strong, uh, or their, their strength is built upon their running game, stopping the run. Jets really the same thing. I think it's a very even mm-hmm. matchup as far as what the strengths of the teams are. Um, the Jets showed a little bit more last week as far as getting Smith out of the pocket, getting him a little bit more comfortable, um, going to the no huddle a little bit mm-hmm. more, getting him he looked good active. running more. Yeah. Too. I, I, I want to see some momentum there. I think it's possible the Jets can kind of trend that way and get Smith kind of going the right way. You know, I think Smith certainly felt a lot better. You know, he even said so afterwards. I felt a little bit like a robot those weeks. Right. Not playing naturally, not playing in a rhythm, and getting a little bit more back into that. I think you might see him make a few more plays. <clears throat> this this week's up to the defensive line. You know, they, they kind of, you know, let the Raiders hang around a little bit longer than they'd want to normally. Um 
I think the Jets will keep this very close. I, I don't think it's going to be an 11 half point game. I think the Jets will keep it close. I do. I, I You know what? I, I agree with you. I'm going to go back to my first uh, dagger in the heart point. And I, I think yeah. that... You know, if the Jets win it, it'll be a really close game, and if they lose, it'll it'll be a close game. Yeah. Uh, for every everything that you just cited, I think that the the, the strengths of the teams match up. Yeah. Running the ball, stopping the run. I think the difference will come in the the quarterback play yeah. and probably the play of the of the secondary, which yeah. is the the two most you know, which is why the Panthers are a winning team and why the Jets have a losing record. Yeah, because they're getting great quarterback play and they're getting good play in the secondary, and the Jets are getting inconsistent quarterback play at best mm-hmm. and their secondary is there are no words to describe what their secondary yeah. is like so you know I, I'm, I'm gonna agree with you I, I think it will be a close game either way I would say the Jets lose a close game and yeah. uh, and go a long way to breaking our hearts and getting us ready for baseball yeah uh, thank God for for the hot stove right just give us something to talk about yeah um so I mean, we could even. I don't think there's much to say about the Giants. They're they're really just playing out the string. Right? They are. There's no controversy really about their coach. There's no, no controversy about the quarterback. They just need to kind of rebuild and 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 yeah. You know, there is one bit of controversy bit. if you want to call it that is the fact that wow, Hakeem Nix is a douche. Yeah. He is like the worst kind of player ever. Does he have a touchdown this year? I don't, I don't think so. Not, le- not at last check, anyway. He, I mean, he doesn't really play. And I think one of the biggest turning points in that uh, in the season for them, you know, obviously they got off to such a bad start. Mm-hmm. Then they went on that winning streak. They had to win one game mm-hmm. this year. After the way they started and the way they played since, you look at their the whole season thus far and say they had to win one game, mm-hmm. that Cowboy game. Absolutely. And they lost it. Now, is it Hakeem Nick's fault that they lost that game? Absolutely not. The team just played poorly and they lost. They could have won that game. They sure. were in it. It was close enough. But the fact that Hakeem Nix did not dress for that game and there is no apparent injury and there was no problem, either there's been some talk that he asked out. I heard that, yeah. Or, or that he was basically benched for, you know, insubordination, that kind of thing. Listen... If the guy is out there as a decoy, you could make the argument that the Giants will win that game. Just because him being on the field opens things up for Cruz and and Ruben Randall and these other guys. And the fact that he wasn't changes the complexion of the game. But it is just, it blows my mind. The, the type of effort that he's put forth. And, and for somebody who, you know, I'm so down on Santonio Holmes, obviously, and he's a little bit more outwardly a douche yeah but what he did is terrible and i, I think they'll be happy that his you know he's basically a free agent and, and talk about a guy who costs himself a lot of money oh, so much i mean yeah. he's talented yeah. so he'll probably he's gonna get a deal somebody will say you know what we could we can shape him up it'll probably be belichick yeah that horse's ass yeah, and bring him in even... but that's what's that's probably what's gonna happen <laughs> i just and had like a flash in my mind of him burning milliner for like 30 touchdowns <laughs> next year i didn't <laughs> think about it by the way, you could follow D. Miller yeah. on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, at third three R D underscore D E E Gree. Yeah. Third degree, which is a pet name that I've given him yeah. because he gets burned all the time. Yeah, third degree burns are bad ones, so <laughs> <clears throat> follow him. He's very entertaining. He tries to be anyway. So 
Giants are done. Uh, anything else with football? I don't know. I don't really want to talk about other teams. Uh, it's depressing to go yeah. around the league right now in the state of like New York football. Obviously, neither one of us are Giant fans. We don't really care. But their 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 season is wrapped. I don't think I can fully go around the league until after this Sunday. I think we're gonna have to save. I, I know that there are people yeah. that you know that are in the New York market that don't root for New York teams, and we try to cover all that stuff, but. I, I just I, I don't think until the, the jet stuff is 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 in our rearview mirror, that we can look at or that it's it's you know potential. Like we could yeah. say we can come here next week with you guys, which we will be here by the way, uh, and be like, you know what, the Jets are back in it. If we're in the yeah. mix, let's talk playoffs. Let's talk big picture. Mm-hmm. We could do that. Um, until then, I, I just can't. I can't wrap my mind around it. Yeah, I'm a little like. Uh, I guess what I'll say, big thing around the league is uh, teams are kind of taking a little step back towards the pack that were up near the front. You know, you look it's at the, the Seahawks, look at the Broncos, look at the Chiefs. There, there's a little, you know, a few more chinks in the armor. Um, maybe opens the door for one of those second tier teams to to make a run when the playoffs start. You know, I think everybody would would have said five, six weeks ago, nobody's beating the Broncos. You know, right. The Broncos lost a couple of games. Nobody's beating the Seahawks. Now, you know, maybe in a certain circumstance that might happen. So I think it'll be it'll make the playoff uh, push the last couple of weeks a little bit more interesting in that way. I can agree with that. Cool. And we'll talk more about that. And I think we're, we'll try to get something cooking for uh, a little bit of a, an around-the-league uh, playoff kind of picture yeah. uh, in the next couple of weeks. But, yeah. So I'm going to get on my soapbox now, <clears throat> talk a little bit of hockey. Uh, oh, I'm gonna leave. Or <laughs> yeah, you can go outside. You can go to the bathroom. Whatever you want to do. Um, if you want to get me another beer or something, that's fine. <laughs> um, so the Rangers came into this season. I haven't had a chance to talk about the Rangers at all so far this year. You know, no, since, we haven't really. Lundqvist got his extension. He did. Yay. He did. We can go there. Right. Um, started the season with a new coach, new system. Right. So I'll try to make this make sense for you and whoever else might not know hockey out there. Right. Rangers under Tom Rennie. During the lockout, he was their coach in 05, mm-hmm. right? Completely new team, bunch of young kids, projected just like the Jets. They were picked last in by ESPN. They were picked to finish dead last that year. Right. They had Yager. They had um, uh, Martin Straka. They had a couple of really, you know, kind of veteran guys and then a bunch of kids. They couldn't do anything. They worked hard. They played to a strict system. They let their offensive guys do their thing. They finished with 100 points, made the playoffs for the first time in 10 years, had a great run, ended up getting knocked out in the first round as they kind of wore out, but reestablished themselves as a solid team in the Eastern Conference. Next couple of years, made the playoffs, missed the playoffs, made the playoffs, made the playoffs, made the playoffs. Consistently, great defense. Henrik Lundqvist went from a rookie to a superstar. The defensive front had Mark Stahl, they added Girardi, they added McDonough, they added these guys, solid defensively. But they started to stagnate offensively. Yager left. They didn't have guys to come in to really fill that void. Mm -hmm. So they had great defense. Best penalty kill in the league a couple years in a row. Top five goals against average a couple years in a row. But down at the bottom of the pack and goals scored. And what happened is when they got to the playoffs, they would struggle. They'd win some close games 1-0. They'd lose some games 3-1. And when they're down a goal or two, they didn't have that switch that they could hit to go and get back in the game. Mm-hmm. So when you play a team like Pittsburgh, who knocked them out of the playoffs, you play a team like Boston, who's knocked them out, when you get behind, the game's almost over at that point. And that's what ended up costing Tortorella his job, and, and prior to that, Rennie his job. Tortorella actually came in with the last thing on his background playing or coaching the Tampa Bay Lightning. Tampa Bay Lightning won a Stanley Cup with him, right. and they were running gun. His term was safe is death. You can't play safe, you're going to die. You need to attack the other team and take it to them. At the time, he had Vincent LeCavalier, Martin San Luis, 
young Brad Richards, who ended up winning the Conn Smythe Trophy, the playoff MVP mm-hmm. with that team, that a great goalie, and they ended up attacking and winning a cup. Tortorella comes in, sees the Rangers' style, their personnel, knows he can't rock the boat too much, so he kind of sticks with Rennies, but it takes it to another level. Their defense gets even better. They go to the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time since 97. Look really, really good. Then they have the lockout year. Struggled a lot. Got exposed by Boston that they couldn't score any kind of goals. The power play was atrocious, inexcusably bad. And and finally, Glenn Sater says that's enough. We're going to go to a new team, new system. We're going to bring in an offensive coach from Vancouver who's been incredibly successful. He was sort of, uh, he'd been to a Stanley Cup final with them. Sort of bad luck with their defense, with their goalie. Uh, they had Luongo on a bad deal. They had a bit of a controversy with him and Schneider. They jump ship. They, they say, you know, Vigneault, you've, you've won president's trophies. President is the best record in the league trophy a couple of times with them. We just need a new direction. We need to change things. And then, ironically, they end up switching coaches, right? right. They bring in the defensive guy. We bring in the offensive guy. So the season starts for the Rangers. They start out on a huge road trip. And but the Garden was reborn. Yay! Which, I'll get into that, too, because I've been, I've been to a few <laughs> games now. i got some things to say about that. But they go and start a road trip to, to you know, finish the renovations of the Garden, but they're going brand new system, completely blowing up the script, right? So you're used to playing one way. They're now playing an exact different way. They're going on the road. They're playing Western Conference teams who are stronger in general than Eastern Conference teams. It sets up to be a very bad trip. Mm-hmm. And I had said at the time, I had talked to some friends about it. I was like, look, if they go four and five, I'd be happy. I think that would be a reasonable goal for these games. They ended up going three and six. But even that acceptable, right? Not the worst thing in the world. Sure. They get back home. They start to show signs. They're starting to get it. Now, they had guys on injury. Uh, Nash got a concussion. Callahan mm-hmm. was coming off an injury from last year with his shoulder. Haglin was out. These guys start to come back, and they start to pick it up. They start to play better. Um, they struggle a little bit. They call up Kreider. Kreider goes nuts. And Kreider's one of my favorite players on the team. He's flying. He put up a point per game. He's scoring goals. He's, he's showing that he's making the leap to the next level. And then they get to December... They get to this homestand. They're, they just played Buffalo on the road. They won a really good game. I think it was 3-1 to one or 4-2, to two, whatever it was. They had an empty net goal. And now they get to this nine-game homestand, sort of to make up for this road trip. Right. They have all these games at home coming up. They play a game against New Jersey. They're up 2 nothing coming off this game. And there's a puck that goes in off a skate of Cam Jansen on the Devils. Distinct kicking motion. Pretty much textbook. Shouldn't be a goal. Gets called a goal. And this is one of those calls that's kind of gone against the Rangers all year. Puck goes off one of the Rangers skates, no goal. Puck goes off a Philadelphia skate, out, it's a goal. Rangers lose by one. Rangers lose by one. Starts to get in your head a little bit. But this happens again. They're up 2-1. It's 2-2. They give up a goal late with less than five minutes left. It's 3-2 Devils. In their heads. Rangers pull their goalie. Rangers get a power play. Kreider scores a goal with 30 seconds left to tie the game. Gets them right back in it. Go to overtime. First overtime game they're playing in since you know early on in the season. Callahan takes a penalty that you could not have done anything about. Callahan is like putting his stick down, and the guy just ran into it face first, cut his face open. Four-minute penalty. Ten seconds into the penalty, devil score a goal, game over. And then since then, the Rangers have not looked like they knew how to play hockey. They've played three games since then. They've lost all three in regulation bad. And if, for all of the good they've done have done terrible in every aspect of the game. The goaltending's been bad, the defensive positioning in front of that has been bad, and the offense has generated no kind of threat on the other end. So all the system stuff, all the things that they've built up have been bad. All the things that they did well have been gone. 
guys look confused. And, and what's most infuriating watching this team is they don't win any battles anywhere. There's a puck in a corner, and there's a 50, it's a 50-50 ball. It's one of the things they say in soccer. Either mm-hmm. guy can get it. Right. It's in the corner, and they're beaten to it every time. Nobody goes in and makes the hard play. Nobody goes in and, and takes the hit to get the puck into the zone. They set up their teammate by taking a hard hit. Guys are caught thinking. They're trying too hard. All this stuff. This is the type of regression that shouldn't be happening. I get not knowing how to play under a new coach or new system playing on the road. I get it takes some time when your guys go out. But going into this homestand, everybody's healthy. Everybody's figured it out. We now have a chance to make some headway against teams that are not even that good. They're not playing these difficult high-end teams. They're not playing Boston's and Pittsburgh's. They're playing Washington's and New Jersey's. They were okay, but they're not great. Mm-hmm. And they had the, the Predators. They had, you know, the, they've taken a uh, game against the Winnipeg Jets that I went to. It was awful. They're going, and they're taking an inexcusable or really inexplicable step back right now. And it's one of those things that something has to give. Now, they went on this, this homestand. They since have lost Mark Stahl to a concussion, another concussion. Ryan Callahan sprained his knee. He's out for at least, initially said four to six. I think they're down to three weeks on him because he just is always back from injuries really quickly. I don't know if he goes into like Captain America's like, you know, inject me full of stuff kind of thing. Probably. But they're now minus two of their biggest performers. And the schedule, like, you've already burnt half of this homestand and haven't gotten any wins. You now have half of it remaining just to kind of tread water. And, and there's no reason to believe they're going to be better. They've had closed door meetings. They've had the you know the the tough practice, all that. Nothing has worked. I don't see where the light at the end of the tunnel is now. Look, it's early. Their division is bad. They have lots of things they can do to, to improve. Right. But this this should not be happening right now. This is one of those things that that really makes you question the leadership in the locker room and where they go from here. It looks to me like there's either going to be a major shift because there's somebody in the locker room who stands up and said this is that you know enough is is effing enough or somebody gets traded like a major trade of some some key core guy going away and i didn't think we find ourselves in this position it's really really frustrating yeah it sounds like it yeah sounds that like it. i'm happy i'm i'm not really a hockey fan <clears throat> because i'd be upset that somehow. might be my best monologue i think since we've done this probably that yeah. was pretty good it's yeah. pretty solid i was engaged i was into it yeah um it seems like that's kind of the narrative maybe not exactly but for all of the teams that are that are playing right now i mean you got the you have you have the rangers everything you just described but like you know even with the knicks yeah. underperforming obviously they lost uh uh chandler real early yeah and that was big for them but I mean, you know, how much defense were they going to play anyway? Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, but, huge you loss. know, then you, you you look at what's going on with the Nets, and and they've had some serious injuries. But just this this underwhelming, underperforming, you know, almost like excuse ridden, you know, it's it, it's it's kind of inexplicable. Some yeah. some of the ways. Listen, you know, a lot of the things you said make sense. You know, starting on the road, new system. You know, when you look at the Nets, new pieces. You knew it was going to take time to fit together. You look at the Knicks roster, you figured, you know what, they're probably going to take a step back from last year. But, like, some of these things that have happened, losing by 40, like, what? How? How are these things happening to this level? And it looks looks so ah, passive and sad, like they're just lying down and taking it. And th- th- that's really what's frustrating. Is there's nothing to watch. There's nothing to get excited about. Right. I love going to hockey games. This will kind of go into the other part of it. Like, so I went to a game earlier this year. Uh, I went to a game on my birthday. I went to another game, the, you know, the week prior. 
nothing was fun about going to those games. Like, there was just no entertainment. There was no, like, hockey is naturally an entertaining sport. But when there's nothing to cheer for and there's nothing exciting going on, mm-hmm. like, it, it's hard to get it into it. It ruins the whole vibe. Uh. So I'll use this as my quick tangent on the new Madison Square Garden. The new, renovated, beautiful, whatever, Chase Bridges and all the things they've been advertising constantly. Tons of revenue streams, which are nice, right? There are different ways you can make money for the garden, which I guess is good for them. Um, the sight lines are bad all over the place. Like, in that building, it, you have a hard time seeing what's going on on the ice. If there's a guy who is too fat to fit in his seat, let's call him the fat guy sitting in front of us. Okay. His head Not is, a reach. That's good. Yeah. His head is blocking a good third of whichever zone he's, like, in between you. So, the, like, the offensive zone, that face-off circle where they do the face-offs, his head is just there. And any play that happens in that area, you're just not going to see because he's too fat to fit in these narrower seats. Now, in addition to that, if you have to go, let's say, to the bathroom at the end of a period, because mm. periods end and that's a good time to go to the bathroom. That's, or, yeah, I mean, probably. Let's even take it a step further. Let's say the game has ended and you want to leave the game. Okay. Those well, who re- like how how many people leave right at the end? Yeah, well, the only benefit for the other couple games I've been to is that they were so far behind, people left before it was over, so that <laughs> helps traffic. But the first one I went to was a close game, and <laughs> nobody was able to get out of the building for a half an hour. When you sit up in the up, like people were just standing, there was nowhere to go because they have more seats and fewer walkways to get out of the building, which is right. insane. That's stupid. So poorer sight lines. No traffic, crazy expensive, although like the team playing as poorly as they have, the ticket prices have come down. Um, you know, the secondary market is sort of the natural barometer of the economy. Right. Uh, so you're able to get to like $125 seats for 60 bucks, which is pretty cool. But when you're watching a poor product, who cares, right? So all of that leads me to say I can't wait until whatever, you know, idiot politician, ha- you know, signs the order that says – Madison Square Garden is going to be knocked down 10 years from now. Fast forward 10 years, and let's force them to build somewhere else. Because this is an atrocious, atrocious experience right now. Wow. Really? I, I, it's the first, uh, legitimately, the first time I walked in the building, experienced the game, was like, I, this is awful. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this for the rest of my life coming to watch games. Let's knock this building down and make a better one somewhere else. Fair enough. I have not yet been to the new garden. Yeah. But uh, that sounds all pretty awful. Yeah. Um, the only thing I can compare it to, one, the experience at the Barclays Center is very nice mm-hmm. overall because it's in a very convenient spot where there's, you know, tons of room and there's, it's not bogged down by, you know, massive commuter train stations underneath yeah. and, you know, all the other all the other stuff. And also I, I think it's built more in line of with, you know, modern stadiums because it, it was not renovated. It was, you know, just purely erected right there. Yeah. Um, but the first, uh, my, my first major experience going to a jet game at the new stadium mm-hmm. was very similar to that. Yeah. It took us forever to get home. It was a night game. I think, I want to say it was a Monday night game. It may have been Sunday. No, it was a Monday night game. Yeah. Um, and I didn't get home. So figure the Monday night game kicks off at like eight o'clock, right? Probably Somewhere eight thirty. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. You get there around eight. Kicks off like eight thirty, eight thirty-five, yeah. whatever it is. Um, I got home at four thirty in the morning <laughs> after a brief stop in I don't know where'sville, New Jersey. How on did you the get train? Back? I, I trained it back. You trained yeah, it back. I, so. I, 
I'll say, like, I took I the train. Public transportation, it was dreadful. Yeah, I took the train. It wasn't wasn't awful. Um, I guess the, the Monday night part of it is what exacerbates the problem. But yeah. I would say I get out at 4. I was back at the garden by 5.30 because um, I went to the range. I actually went, so that was my birthday on Sunday when I went to the Jet game. Uh, happy birthday, Tom. Oh, that's um, right. Happy birthday, yep, Tom. Thanks. Just celebrating a birthday. That's, um, right. that's fine. Nobody has to remember that. Um, Nobody did. Yep. <laughs> went to uh, went to the Jet game and then ended up going to the Ranger game that night. Uh, jet game was fun. Jets won. Ranger game was awful. Kind of ruined the rest of my day. But <laughs> longest day ever, by the way. I don't know if you ever would think of doing something like that. I would. It was worth it. I would never do it again. Okay. But it, I, I'm glad I did. Watching two of my favorite teams, going to the stadiums, all that stuff. It was, it was a lot. It was a good day. But... About a half an hour and a half getting back. I yeah, back no, it, it, took, it took about like like four solid hours to get Crazy. home. Uh, and now, granted, that was like the first game in the new stadium. That's yeah. the one that I had gone to. Uh, it was the you know it was the, the situation where the Giants played Sunday afternoon, and then the Jets got the first primetime game playing right. that Monday night, you right, know, same right. week. And um, but they were just. You know, and I've heard it's been better since, mm-hmm. but that, what you said kind of reminds me of it, where they just overall were just completely unprepared yeah. for the amount of people and just getting them there, getting them out. Getting to the stadium was no problem, but you have people coming from Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, Hoboken, Secaucus. I don't care. They're coming yeah. from all over the place. The train conductor kept they calling have it Sea Caucus, by the way. It was driving me crazy. Yeah, well, it's, it's close, <laughs> I it's guess. Sea Caucus. <laughs> We're going to Sea Caucus, sorry. But these guys are coming from everywhere. Long yeah. Island. They're coming from every conceivable place to watch their team play. Yep. When the game's over... They're all leaving the same way, yeah, and that's what they were not prepared for. Yeah. So, and it was it was awful. They were actually prepping uh, the, when we were leaving. They were prepping for uh, Super Bowl stuff, so they actually had extra long trains at the platform, and uh, ended up taking a little bit longer due to that because they were doing like a dry right. run. Yeah, but uh, the same thing. I think they're trying to be prepared for you know. Which, by the way, you could not get me to go to if you paid me. If you paid me, and the Jets were playing. Yeah, I guess if your team was in it. Yeah, yeah. if the Jets were in it, I would go. Yeah. I would really want to go. But other than that, like, it's just, it's not conducive to, to just the way it's set up. You know, yeah. you go to some of these other cities, cold weather, warm weather, whatever. You know, you go downtown and the stadium is there. Yeah. You leave the stadium. You could walk four blocks and then catch a cab and go the hell home or go yeah. back to your, or walk back to your hotel room if you're, you know, if you're not, yeah. you know, for a Super Bowl, let's say. You know, some this is it's in the most inconvenient place yeah, possible. Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Period. Yeah. End of end of uh, end of thought. Right there. That was fun. It was. It was yeah. nice to do this. It's yeah. you know, I didn't really know if we still had a podcast. Yeah. You know, it was weird because I was coming here. Usually, you come to me. It's a little different setup. I didn't really know where to park. Yeah. You know, but it was nice to be able to do a podcast again. Yeah, that was cool. We should do it again. Maybe. Let's not, you know, jump yeah, the gun. All right, fine. A <laughs> uh, <clears throat> couple things we're definitely looking to do, um, if you listen to this at all. Uh, we're going to start to do this uh, more regularly, uh, either here or in other locations. But uh, we're also going to try to have some guests on, which will be a lot of fun. You know, yep. I think we had a really good time with uh, with our guests the last show. Um, some really great feedback from people having fun on our show. So uh, we have a couple people lined up we've spoken to already. 
I think by the start of the new year, we're going to start to uh, to have some people on maybe every week, you know, if we can do it. Yeah, it would, it would be nice. I mean, we have some people lined up. Obviously, everybody who had been on the other one, uh, you know, would love to come back and we'd love to have them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, obviously get a, some new blood in there, some new perspective. But uh, we have a few things cooking uh, that we'll probably have hopefully in the next couple weeks and some information on that. But, uh, yeah, it's good to be back and we, we will be back, all jokes aside, uh, on a regular basis for you guys. Yeah. So. What would you get me for Christmas? Um, well, let's not talk about that. Right. Right. <laughs> good, good. Uh, I usually let my girlfriend handle the uh, Christmas gift thing. Yeah. You know, she's the one who's always like, oh, this would be a really great gift for, you know, Tom. And I'm like, I didn't know we were getting Tom. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, maybe I'll get you a Granderson shirt or something. Yeah, that'd be nice. That'd, that'd right? be nice. Maybe I'll get you a Beltran shirt. It'll yeah. be a ceremony we can... <laughs> That'd be funny. I'm really looking forward to the Beltran and uh, and Ellsbury shirts I'm getting, especially because Ellsbury's wearing 22. That's my number. That's and, true. Uh, That's true. I have some Red Sox fans that are very, very upset that he's playing for the Yankees. Yeah, I don't think they were ever going to bring him back, though. What's that? The Red Sox? No, no. But fans like him, you know. Ah, uh, whatever. He was Native American. They like that. Do they? Up yeah. in Boston? No. People no. <laughs> like that he was cute. That's how people in Boston are. Yeah, oh, actually, I. you know what, I don't usually, wait, forget it, I know we were just about to wrap up. Yeah. We don't usually, like, we talk a lot about the things that we hate, you know, <laughs> um, but and we but you try not to, like, name names for, like, because I don't want to get sued, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to do they, it. There's nothing for them to take, what are they going to do? That's what I'm take saying. This I don't bucket. have, this I don't have anything, <laughs> I don't even have an apartment right now, which yeah. some of you, none of you know, but that's, anyway, yeah. it's beside the point, I digress, but listen to me. <laughs> I've been off the last two days. I've been watching a lot of hot stove stuff. Yeah. Harold Reynolds is a moron. (laughs) Harold Reynolds said on air today that one of the reasons why the Yankees brought in Jacoby Ellsbury was for marketing to women because he's good looking. Now, I, I imagine that it was partially tongue-in-cheek, but here's the thing. It wasn't funny. No. It sounded it sounded real. Like, it sounded yeah. like he meant it. It sounded like he works for the MLB Network and is a professional baseball analyst. That's what it sounded like. It was like not that. presented as a joke in any way, shape, or form. And then he went on to just spew verbal diarrhea all over... I don't know, Ken Rosenthal, whoever else is out there with him. And he is quickly, very quickly, challenging John Cruck as the stupidest baseball analyst in the entire country. And that says a lot, because if you go back like five or six years, they actually work together on Baseball Tonight, and that is a frightening concept. I'm not sure how I made it through any of those broadcasts. That's my rant. Yeah. They're both dumb. <clears throat> I'll end up positive. <laughs> I really enjoy Brian Kenny from the, the MLB Network. I think they have a show together. I don't know. I don't. I don't. They really do. Have it's called Brian Kenny knows sabermetrics, and Harold Reynolds doesn't know anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brian Kenny, fantastic. Harold Reynolds, just awful, awful. And I liked Harold Reynolds because he always was like pro Yankee back during their dynasty run. He would like sure. come up with excuses, oh, talk fine. about how good the Yankees are. Okay. But from an analytical standpoint, Brian Kenny's fantastic. He is. He's very good. Very, very good. And uh, I get it. He's, you know, Harold Reynolds is the old school baseball anecdotal guy. The guys they were making fun of in the Moneyball movie. Like, oh, well, he doesn't have a good bat 
You know, he just it doesn't pop like yeah. the other guys. His neck isn't. Yeah, he doesn't have a real pitcher's neck. This guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a term I'm gonna start using. Pitcher's yeah. neck. Pitcher's neck. Yeah. <laughs> Harpooning. But, <laughs> but no, I agree with you because you know what? Sometimes I, you know I'm into the the advanced stats. Probably not as much as you are. I think that there's validity. I think you need to have a good mixture of both. And sometimes I think guys like Brian Kenny might go a little too far. Sure. So I understand the point counterpoint. But what I don't understand is how they can have a show where Brian Kenny will be like, this is why player X is a quality baseball player. Reasons one, two, and three, backed up by factual information. And then Harold Reynolds will be like, for 15 minutes. And then no one knows what the hell he's talking about because he's dumb. Yep. <laughs> I will always err on the side of reason and intelligence, and that, that's what he brings to the table. So that's, let's, let's go with that, right? Brian right. Kenny. Well, like Jay-Z always says, men lie, women lie, the numbers don't. <laughs> and it's the truth. It's the truth. Uh, one of my favorite quotes I'll use is that right before we go with Cano. Uh, Jay-Z making the Mariner hat more famous than a Mariner can. <laughs> <laughs> That is good. Right? Also accurate, right? Who knew who the Mariners were before Jay-Z yeah. did that? Yeah. Also, quick note on Jay-Z since we're talking about it. Um, when the, the, the whole thing came down and it was like, oh, Cano is flying out to Seattle. And is the deal eminent? Probably he's bringing him out there. Then that was like, you know, Monday night. Then we woke up Tuesday morning and it was like, talks broke down. Oh, my God. And this was a classic case of, of and listen, I don't fault them because they, none of these guys are in the room, but the media jumping the gun on something. Yeah. But what was laughable to me was that there were so many guys. Now, a lot of these guys don't even know Jay-Z from a hole in the wall. I understand he's like, a, you know, a, a, a mega superstar in the music world. Like, yeah. I get that. They're aware of him. Mm-hmm. You know, but... You know, there's so many of them that were like, well, you know, I, I don't remember who it was, but they were like, well, you know, all the success that he's had, you know, in his own walks of life, uh, you have to understand that, you know, you, you can't act that way when you go to, uh, you know, you sit down with one of these baseball owners that, you know, can buy and sell like all these like blah, 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 and basically saying how Jay-Z cost Robinson Cano all this money. And then like two hours later, Robinson Cano signs a $240 million deal over 10 years when all these baseball quote-unquote experts at the beginning of the offseason were like, Cano's not going to get $300 million. Now we didn't but he came a lot closer than any of them thought he would and now i I don't know where's the credit for jay-z i just think you know i I think the guy knows a little bit about business and i think that they were throwing him through the mud with like half information at best peter gammons had tweeted uh maybe about 20 minutes before the deal actually broke uh stick to your day job (laughs) when it comes to (laughs) jay-z Now, I can't think of two and I people... I like Peter Gavin, by saying, the way. I, I respect the hell out of Peter Gavin. I can't think of two people more diametrically opposed <laughs> just as to who they are than Peter Gavin's and Jay-Z. And that was one yeah. of the funnier quotes out of the whole thing. But, uh, yeah, let's end positive, right? That was funny. Yeah. Peter Gavin's is old. Uh, <laughs> Ducky, you got anything for us? Um, I was looking at free agents for this season and looking at right-handed relief pitchers, one person I would take a chance on personally would be Andrew Bailey. Bailey! Yeah, exactly. I I even wrote that down (laughs) with a bunch of whys. Uh, He's injury-prone. 
Right. He's coming off of surgery. He won't be back till mid-May. Right. He is a former closer. He's still young. He was rookie of the year good. Like, he won rookie of right. the year. And he can challenge Robertson and maybe just be someone that could be... He was, he was pitching for the Red Sox last year and had bad years and then got hurt. Isn't he from Staten Island? Yeah, yeah. he's also a New York person. So yeah. we, we know that because we went to a Yankee game when he was in Oakland. And there was a guy in our section over the bullpen yelling at him. Really? Like, we went yeah. to high school together. Oh, I'm sure that guy was <laughs> not drunk and yeah. very accurate. <laughs> uh, what was Bailey's injury? Yeah, he was having shoulder problems. He had a reconstructive thing on his thumb. Uh, but that was two years ago. Yeah. They said that... Um, He's got a bionic thumb. Yeah. That uh, should make him better. Yeah. 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 He adds like five miles per hour to your fastball. Yeah, he throws it with his, like, you know... Straight with his thumb. Well, now he just he just holds it like on his fist with the thumb out and just pushes it. And yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's the way you'd want to do it's it. Kind of a crazy spin. Robot thumb. Anything okay. else? Uh, Gavin Floyd has signed with a baseball team. They don't know who it is though. Gavin Floyd. I that? love that. That's part of the. <laughs> that's part of the problem. See, I love. I am. I've been following this hot stove stuff so closely, like <laughs> I do every year. I've been watching it. I've been checking Twitter like crazy. But I love that. I love that. That's someone's job. They're like, oh, breaking sources say, which you have to say. Fine. Yeah. Sources say Gavin Floyd signs with team. <laughs> and then it's not a typo. You're like, oh, did they mean Tampa? That's kind of yeah. like team with autocorrect. <laughs> and then they're like, no autocorrect. We don't know yet. How? <laughs> They've been slowly uh, taking teams out of the equation. They, he's a, he's from Baltimore, and they said the first team that was off the list were the Orioles, who had shown interest in him. So is this like Survivor? Like they're going to pull teams, you know, somebody's going to get voted of, off the island? What I just saw, it said the Orioles, the Phillies... And the Blue Jays are not in on him, or maybe the Blue Jays are in on him, but they yeah. said the Yankees are involved. They're trying to get him. He's a he's a starter who's not very good, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, moving on from that sport, I personally believe that the Carolina Panthers will destroy the New York Jets this weekend. <laughs> All right. And I'm a Jets fan. Thanks for being the voice of reason. I am the voice of reason in this case. The Carolina Panthers have the number one defense in the NFL. The Jets, not statistically, have the worst offense, but we all know they have the worst offense in the NFL. That's true. Yeah. The Carolina. Wait, wait, there's a team that's statistically worse than the Jets. I mean, the, I'm, we just beat the Raiders, right? Yeah, right. It's got a, the Raiders, nah, that's true. The I guess so. The Raiders are a team. The Texans are the worst team in the NFL. That's true. We've yeah. come a long way from a bunch of 0-5 teams to now the te- Texans are out of a coach, out of a quarterback, and they're the worst team in the NFL. Yeah, I'll tell you what, though. In a quarterback-heavy draft, they could get real good real fast if they yeah. get the number one yeah, pick. Yeah, they're probably going to end up taking Johnny Menzel and just ruin their future anyway. So Yeah. Um, the Panthers have the number one rush defense. That's they the do. only thing the Jets can hang their offensive <laughs> hat on. Cam Newton is going to ball out. Two words, Antonio Cromartie. He's going to be covering Steve Smith. If you don't have Steve Smith or he's a free agent in the fantasy <laughs> league, you get Unless him now. That's true. Another thing, they have Greg Olson, a tight end. The Jets historically have never been able to cover tight ends. All right. I'll play devil's advocate really quickly. We have the number two defense and the number two rush defense. So this is, you know, we're both in the same boat. Um, Antonio Allen shut down Gronkowski. He can shut down Olsen. And Steve Smith's injury prone. Let's go with that. Antonio Allen shut down a hurt Robert Gronkowski and a hurt Jimmy Graham. Shut them down. Uh, <laughs> as far as I know, Greg Olson is not injured. Totally I, oh, I, have a, I have a question. What happens if Antonio Cromartie is not cleared to play with his concussion? Does that mean that D. Milner covers Steve Smith? In yeah. which case, we will lose by about 80. 
Yeah. Any team that plays the New York Jets, I stress this to you. Call Hike, take a one-step drop back, <laughs> even, maybe two if you really need it. Throw the ball as far as you can. <laughs> <laughs> no one on the other team will get it. Just take your chances. If you do that three plays, you will have a touchdown. <laughs> Definitely a first down, but most likely a touchdown. That's pretty true. Yeah. You know what's scary? Think about if Cromartie's hurt. As bad as Cromartie's been, think about if he's hurt and our starting corners are D. Miller and Kyle Wilson. Yeah. I probably won't even watch. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Knicks win? No? No, the Knicks lost to the Boston Celtics. Ugh. By yeah, how they were, many? They were winning. Only, only, only four this time. They were up four last time. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, no. That's, we're, we're just going to go with no. They're just so bad. That's Another thing I was looking at, uh, baseball stats... Just looking at players that we were mentioning throughout the night, Brandon Phillips, Brian McCann, Albert yeah. Pujols. I yeah. was looking at all their numbers past thirty, and some of them haven't, haven't reached that plateau. But just for example, when you you compare Pujols to Cano, once Pujols hit thirty-one, all his numbers fell off. Guess who's turning thirty-one this year and just got a healthy contract with a bad MLB team with no bats around him in the lineup? Yeah, Robinson Cano. Yeah. Well, they have Corey Hart, who had uh, two knee surgeries and missed all of two thousand thirteen, so he'll be. Yeah, and Logan Morrison, who's been a Marlin. You can't take anything good away from that. True. He's good to follow on Twitter, though. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, 31, being old, that's normal. Like, that's the way things used to work before all the steroids yeah, happened. Yeah, Prime used to be 27 to 31. That was yeah. the... So this isn't crazy. Like That's why it's a stupid contract. Also, yeah. Randy Levine today got investigated by the Major League for making comments about Mike Trout. Yeah. So that, that, as a headline, looks bad. When you looked at what he was saying, he was saying, why didn't you give Cano a 10-year contract? Well, unless he was Mike Trout, who is 22 years old, yeah. I'm not giving a guy who is 30 years old a 10-year contract. Yeah. They investigated him for that. I know. That's ridiculous. I understand yeah. the whole tampering. You can't yeah. say. He called up the rain, uh, the Angels and apologized, and they were like, nah, it's, it's fine. We know what you were trying yeah. to do. It was like a, like a slip. Yeah. He was trying. He was trying to make a reference to a guy who deserved the ten-year contract. Now, in the rules, should he have said the name? No. But eh, come on, that's nonsense. On the side, totally get Mike Trout. Right yep, now. I think that's planting the seeds. I'm going to run with that as a Yankee fan. I think he's here within four seasons. <laughs> Fired up for Mike Trout. We good? So that's it. <clears throat> All right. All right. Thanks, Ducky. Uh, so yeah, thanks for joining us. That was a lot of fun. I'm sick. Uh, yeah, you sound Tom. Sick. Yeah, it's been it's been a rough couple of days, a couple of weeks, really. But All right, good. So, I feel uh, not so good about being close quarters with you now, but that's yep. uh, good. Terrific. Yep. I will Sweet. be sick soon. So thanks for joining us. All right, later. Good. The New York Twenty is brought to you by Waffles. Tasty Waffles. 